This is Jordan D. White, and welcome to a special episode of Power of X-Men. During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around. Was it supposed to be Jean, or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you, know, you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but it that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and, and, and very kind. This is the Power of X-Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. We have a very special guest tonight. He is the reason why I started a podcast because I had so much fun listening to him on his podcast, Sailor Business. He is the senior editor of the X Books and a rock star with the ukulele. <laughs> He needs no introduction, and I'm sort of babbling right now because I'm just such a fan, and I'm in such awe right now. We have Mr. Jordan D. White on the podcast! Thank you for having me. (laughs) No, thank you for joining us. I feel like this is midnight zero on Sailor Moon since we're (laughs) recording so late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Gosh, uh, are we going to read love letters? That'll be great. Jordan is a big Sailor Moon stan, and he has a podcast called Sailor Business with X-Men 92 writer Chris Sims. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been doing that podcast for a a really long time, much longer than we should have been doing it because there's only 200 episodes and we absolutely should have been through them by now. But uh, yeah, one episode per, per show. We talk about the episode for far longer than the episode actually is. Uh, by a significant amount, talk about uh, it in ridiculous detail, <laughs> sometimes make our audience question whether or not we actually like Sailor Moon because of how much <laughs> guff we give it. <laughs> but we love Sailor Moon, and that's why we give it so much guff. I love when you were doing the first six episodes of Stars, and I'm sure you see this quite a bit with your listenership. They were like, oh, I can't wait for you to hit these certain episodes. And for me, it was, I can't wait for you guys to hit those first six episodes where the Outer Senshi returned. Mm-hmm. And you guys gave such a wonderful point of view on that. <laughs> and talking about how it was like reminiscent of the, I'm forgetting the fable it's based off of, but it was extremely enlightening. Oh, the... Wait, are you talking, in the, talking about the, the movie or? No, I'm confused. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Crystal? I meant Stars. The first six episodes of Stars where. No, no, I, I know. I, I guess oh. I was thinking of the Snow Queen for some reason. Oh, no. That's it's with Nehalenia with the mirrors where Saturn oh, right, 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 reawakens right, right. Yep. and they have to go there. Goodness gracious. It, it's, it's, there's so much in this show. Uh, we just were, we were supposed to record the other day and we, and we didn't. But I watched uh, episode, what is it? 198 uh on on monday night and and i have lots of things to say about it but i'm not going to spoil them here i guess Don't spoil it, but that's the <laughs> that's the episode where haruka and mature die it is, is it is epic. i will say de- probably my favorite thing that i will gush about a lot uh that i is new to me from this viewing i mean 
listen, I, I watched all the shows so long ago that I don't remember the details of a lot of them, but this one I think was entirely <laughs> new to me was the, the little special about them. And I will continue to say they absolutely should have a spinoff based on that episode. You, you just have to keep them away from Sailor Moon because if they get within five feet of Sailor Moon, they are assholes. <laughs> but what, on their own, they're just badass lesbians who want to kick ass. Uh, and they're like romantic and, and playful and like just amazing. Um, I want to watch their show where they go around fighting monsters. I just don't want them to be near Sailor Moon because, again, as soon as they get near Sailor Moon, all they can do is go, the only thing we could do is murder people. And Sailor Moon <laughs> go, no, obviously that's not accurate. There are other solutions to things like friendship. <laughs> well, you guys on the show make the wonderful analogy that the Outer Senshi are basically X-Force. Absolutely and they are. That I was like, yes. But that <laughs> Super S special that you're talking about specifically, I love the scene where Michiru like blasts the villain. I'm forgetting the context of it. But the villain's like, I can't believe you did that. You risked destroying the world. And Michiru is like, a world without Haruka isn't a world worth living in. And I was like, Yes, that's exactly where it's at. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Yeah, that episode is just well, it's not even an episode. That little little clip, or what? It's, it's not even a full episode length. It's like eleven minutes or something, right? It's, yeah, it's like an Adult Swim length episode. <laughs> uh, it's so good, and it just it should have been a pilot. The fact that no one has done that series in any capacity blows my mind. Because while I love all of the characters in Sailor Moon, and I do love the two of them on some level, I don't get why people love them so much because they're always wrong. <laughs> Their <laughs> role in the show right. is to be wrong. <laughs> I, I could sit here and talk about Sailor Moon all night with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm already making all the X-Men fans bored. I'm no, sorry. No, no, Well, we know we have a lot of X stands that are huge Sailor Moon fans as well. And I think we'll, we'll get into this later on. I think there's a lot of overlap, but you are, of course, the senior group editor at the X-Men. And what is a role like that? I mean, you've ushered in a new era with Krakoa. Like, all eyes are on the X office now. Well, I mean, first of all, I can't, I can't take the credit for that, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm, I am honored that I am a part of it. Um, so much of it obviously comes from the amazing ideas that Jonathan Hickman brought to Marvel and said, here's what I want to do. Um, I'm all of my, I mean, I'm an editor, not, not a writer or an artist. So obviously I engage with the writer and artist creatively and I, I do my best to help them and I'll throw in ideas if I, if I have any that they want to take, but, uh, but they deserve all the credit. And I'm, like I said, I'm I'm just thrilled that I am able to work with such talented people. Everybody that we're working with right now is awesome. And I've been able to work with an amazing crew basically my whole career on the Deadpool books I worked on. I, I had some uh, like super awesome creative teams on all the Star Wars books I worked on. I was overjoyed. I mean, our 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 launch of those Star Wars books, we had a killer uh, array of, of teams. So I'm, I'm fortunate again to have a stacked deck that makes me look good because I, I, ha I have all of these amazing creators that are, are here, but it's great. It's great. Uh, being a, being a senior editor is um, a lot of work, but it's good. And uh, I love all of the other editors I work with as well. I've got a crew right now of 
let's see, two editors, an associate editor, and two assistant editors that work under me. And uh, they're all super talented folks who love the X-Men and who love working on comics. And it's a thrill to be on the team with them every day. Yeah, I feel like the vibe at the X office right now is so infectious. And we're doing a segment where we're interviewing comic book retailers. And when we ask them about the X-Men and how they're feeling about, you know, what's going on with the X office, everyone says the same thing. Like everyone there is so nice. And they call out Hickman for being such a great person. And there's this one comic book seller, which I'll shout out, it's Toy Wiz. And Carl over there, who's the comic book manager, who has like the best title ever, was like, I have met Jonathan Hickman twice. And he is genuinely such a great guy and such a great person and sat me down and just talked to me about some of the, his past work and stuff like that. And I just, even your presence online, listening to you on Sailor Business, seeing, you know, some of the art, other artists and writers like Leah and Teeny, and even speaking with Zeb, you guys are just, thank you for what you're doing for the community. I know it's a lot more difficult than it looks. You guys make it look just very fun and easy. It's, it is difficult. Um, in the sense that, uh, I mean, it, it's both. It's both fun and easy and difficult. And I know easy and difficult shouldn't be together, but they are. <laughs> um, you know, because first of all, we do love it. Like I said, every single person involved is loving what they're doing. Part of that, in addition to loving the story and the characters that we're working on, is also that we're, the way we're working together right now is so fun and so cool, um, you know, we are more, so we're in this pandemic and the creators have always been working from home, obviously, um, you know, talking to us through email and, and, and phone and stuff, but all the editors are now working from home as well. And I actually think that uh, we were already using Slack before we left the offices, but we, I think we kind of took the opportunity in the pandemic and in the way that in changing how we work already to become more tightly knit uh, with our, with our freelancers that we're not physically close to. Cause again, we, we were used to be in an office physically with multiple people in the X office at, at, at the time. Uh, but now we're all on our own. And yet I feel closer to everybody in the X office than I ever have. Um, we, we talk all the time. We're, we're, on, we're on that Slack constantly. And I mean, constantly to the effect that I literally have it on my computer right in front of me. Right <laughs> um, oh. uh, and so like, so like we're constantly like throwing ideas out to each other, popping up, you know, pages of things that people are showing off or, 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 or scripts or PDFs of finished issues. Um, we are, uh, we had a, a call earlier today. I mentioned that I was on Zoom a lot today earlier when we were talking. Uh, one of the reasons for that was we had an ex office call today. So all the writers and editors on one Zoom every two weeks, we tend to do it uh, for a couple of hours, like talking wow, about really? talking about business and stories and <laughs> uh, that we want to do and, and how the things are going to play out. Um, and then not only are we doing all that for a line of books that uh, we're trying to keep more tightly connected than I've seen a line of books be in quite some time. I agree um, wholeheartedly on that. We, we then went, Hey, while we're here, I guess let's do that thing we were going to do where we do a 22 part crossover. <laughs> okay. The fact that we did all of that from home is 
mind boggling. Okay. So I've mentioned this in past episodes of this podcast. You guys turned out a 22 chapter crossover during a pandemic. The writing was tight. The art was tight. You guys did not miss a date. How? How? We all just, we all just worked really hard and cared really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. We all were pulling for it. it. And again, it wasn't easy. Um, it was obviously more work than just doing 22 issues of 20 of books. Uh, and for everyone involved, you know, there was so much coordination. There was the writers had to do multiple drip, like rewrites that they normally wouldn't do, but, but it was like, no, no, like that's a good comic, but it doesn't do what it needs to do in the overall 22 issue scheme of things. So we need you to go back and do this part and make this. It was a lot for everybody, but we're, we're so proud of it. I don't have the hardcover yet, but I'm looking forward to getting it. <laughs> when is it's the hardcover? Massive. I, I think it's out. Oh, it's out right now? I, I think it's out. Excuse it's me a- while I pause this interview and go on Amazon <laughs> or my local comic book seller just to Yeah, because because it. it's it like you can you can get it on uh Comixology already. The the oh, okay. the the collected edition. I'm pretty sure it's out in comic shops. It's not I don't think it's out in on Amazon yet. I, I actually bought it on Amazon as well, um, but it hasn't arrived yet because I think uh, that's because that's um, the, the book market. It, it's a little bit later. Well, let me tell you something. When you guys announced Hellions and it started pubbing in March, we were so excited for the return of Madeline Pryor. Oh. And then the pandemic hit. Oh, well, we will get into Maddie. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. If <laughs> she's right there. Yeah, she is. <laughs> I'm being deliberate here, but we, I feel a lot of us at the start of the pandemic, a lot of us ex-fans were displaced and we were craving these stories and where they left off because I think one of the things that all the ex-writers and ex-editors and artists are doing right now is inciting passion in fans and making us go back and read all the world building you guys are doing. So to have that come at a screeching halt and we're like, what? what like and then the world is falling falling apart but when we returned and we had ten of swords holy shit you guys delivered 22 chapters so i just want to say thank you for that it, it literally it we started this podcast reviewing every single issue and let me tell you it's like it's 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 trial by fire because it was sometimes three to four issues and we went through it yeah, yeah. I mean, that's While the thing we about figuring that. out the voice of the podcast. Like, it wasn't even a weekly series; it was a multiple chapters yes. a week weekly series. Uh, bananas. Uh, I, I, I'm sh- I, like, I know there are mistakes in there. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I know there are things we got wrong, but the fact I, that there aren't more is is. Uh, I amazing. I will ask you one day to say those mistakes because we're pretty meticulous readers. I'm a very meticulous reader, and I thought you had a very tight world building. So we worked hard. We worked hard to do it. The writing was solid. You guys are delivering so much content. And I don't think a lot of readers would necessarily get that those data pages take work, creating the dialogue, creating the script, and then coordinating with the art. It's a lot of work and the hard work you guys are doing is evident. So thank thank you. you. I want to kind of dive into your history before I badger you with like X-Men questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... I'm curious how one becomes an ex-editor. And I'm curious, when did you start 
hearing about the X-Men when you were a little Jordan, what was that first memory of the X-Men you have? Uh, the first memory of the X-Men I have now, listen, I I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I am confident that you are a bigger X-Men fan than I am. <laughs> um, which is not because I don't like X-Men. I love X-Men, but I'm not, they were never my passion uh, as a comic fan. My fr- I mean, my original passion was Spider-Man. And then when I got into the world of the X-Men, it was Excalibur. I loved Excalibur. And I'm talking about Claremont and then Davis Excalibur before it tied in with continuity. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember when they, when Alan Davis left the book, I had a subscription, like the, the kind that they, you know, mailed to you. And they said something like, you know, Alan Davis is leaving the book, but we're bringing in, I don't, I don't remember who came in immediately, but they were like, we're going to, we're going to bring them into the X-Men continuity. And like, we're going to, or they didn't say it like that, but we're going to tie them in more closely. They're going to be part of this crossover and that crossover. And they're going to be, and I was so excited because I was a kind of a casual X-Men fan, but I loved Excalibur. And I went, that's great. I'm glad they're taking Excalibur seriously now. And, but then I was actually disappointed because that actually meant we're going to have Excalibur stop being the kind of super weird, quirky thing it is. And we're going to make it more X-Men. Um, and I'm not saying there were not good Excalibur stories after that. Obviously there were, but, but it wasn't quite the thing it used to be. So my, that, that wasn't my first memory of X-Men, but that was my first like X-Men love was the characters in Excalibur and the stuff that happened in Excalibur. My first memory is, that's, and I, was, I said you're a bigger fan than me. You might be able to name the issue, and I know I can't. Okay, let's um, see. I remember being very young and having completely randomly, because as a comic book reader, I, I would read anything. I, if, if someone was willing to buy me a comic, I would take it. <laughs> um, very randomly. It was a cover. It was in the like uh, Havoc and Dazzler are members of the X-Men era. Okay, so the Aussie era. And they were, there was a... a a convertible on the cover. <laughs> I can't think of that one. Just they're, they're, yet. I think maybe Havoc is blasting in a convertible and then maybe like either an issue before or an issue later, sometime right around there was also an issue with Storm and a giant snake. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Hang on. I'm Googling <laughs> Havoc Dazzler convertible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Let's see. Let's I see don't see the there. cover. Let's see. Yeah, I don't e- I don't either. Let's see. Uh it would have been I'm trying to think even what the numbers were at that point. Um hang on. Uncanny I'm gonna pull up my X-Men cover gallery. My unlimited app here. Oh sure, yeah, that'll do it. Which that could be a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you see someone like Havoc and Dazzler in a convertible and then Storm with a big snake being all Britney before Britney was probably even born. And you're like, who are these people? Right, right. Um, and I, it was again, it was so random that I had these issues. But I, like I said, I would read anything. So I was totally into it. Oh, I think I'm in the right era now. I'm on cover browser and I'm scanning through it. Uh, oh, here we go. Okay, what is it? 224. Uh, and it's and havoc is blasting and long shot is scooping somebody out of a convertible, a green convertible. <laughs> and on, the issue wait. before is storm with the giant snake two twenty three. So I guess two twenty three is the first one I remember owning. Okay. And looking back before that, yeah, I don't recognize any of these covers from when I was a kid. I, I recognize them from when I finally read X Men. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah, right there. I'm going to put it up to the screen so our viewers can see it. Look at that. 
That's the one. Uh, I remember having those two issues, and I don't remember what happens in them. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember reading them, and I was devouring anything, so I would I read all of those. And now that I look at it, actually, I think I had the next issue too, which is two twenty five, the first issue of the Fall of the Mutants. Yeah, I definitely well, didn't have the rest of Fall of the Mutants, but I definitely I think I had that one too. That was such an interesting way to read comic books. And I was talking about that with Zeb Wells, where you read these crossovers in pieces and then you'd have to go to your comic book store and sort of be an archaeologist oh, yeah. and uncover the next issue or the issue before. And it just made sourcing that that story and that information more valuable and precious. And it's, it, that's, that's gone now oh, it's so gone. because, because like for, again, Excalibur, right? So when I started reading Excalibur, they were probably, I think my first issue was issue like four, four or okay. five, four. Yeah. I think it was four. The, the, the issue with the janitor on the cover. <laughs> um, but that's the first one I read. That wasn't the newest one at the time. At the time, the newest one was somewhere in the, like late thirties, maybe. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I had, had to, to go back, scour the, the, the back issue bins. Like anytime I could go to a new comic book shop that I'd never been to so that maybe they'd have different issues that I, I don't have. I would try to. And here's the other thing. You don't wait to read them. You don't go, Oh, I have to get them in order and read them in order. You just go, all right, here's issue 47. I'll read that. Yeah. And then when you get issue 46, you go, now I understand it a little <laughs> bit better. Um, but that nowadays, that's there's no one would ever do that. Nowadays, people would, if you want to read a story, you read the whole thing, you buy the trade, first of all. Yeah. And if you don't buy the trade, you go online and you you read it in order. Um, or the you know, there are you find the jumping on point closest to what you want to read and you read it in order. Um I'm sure most people don't read <laughs> all of X-Men. And and listen, I wouldn't recommend it. If, I, if somebody <laughs> said, I, where should I start on X-Men? I would not say, oh, start at the beginning, 1960s. Absolutely. Do Which you do are that. doing that right now. I did right? do that. I did do that. I've, I've, uh, I haven't kept up with doing it every day, unfortunately. Um, it's I tough to do it again. Yeah, it's very tough. But I like what you were saying because I was happy to get through get through all those because I, I had read again. I sorry to interrupt. I had read all the Claremont and on stuff before mm -hmm. that. I get all all the <laughs> main book, not yeah. every branching thing of all time. But I read the all the Claremont stuff before. But I had never read through the the Stan and and pre Claremont stuff before. Um, I kind of vaguely knew about it generally because it gets referenced all the time. But I had never actually sat down and read it. And I'm glad I did, but a lot of it's not very good, unfortunately. <laughs> Was there something in those stories that you discovered, like maybe a forgotten plot point? Oh, yeah. Or that, that you're like, oh, okay, that's weird, moving on. Because I remember some of the first issues where Xavier's thinking about, oh, Gene, the one I love. And of course, that would come out in Onslaught as well, you know, decades later. But I'm just curious, did you unearth any nuggets? Uh, yes, <laughs> but I can't say too much about that. I, no, I mean, listen, nothing, nothing that is like a keystone where it's like, oh, my God, you'll see and then you'll know. You'll see how I got you. There, But there are a couple of bits that I, first of all, I would just kind of go, hey, 
I just saw this. Do you guys remember this? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Maybe we can use that. Um, oh, okay. And some things might pop up in that way, um, which is fun. Uh, the, the, the Gene and Xavier thing, the, the, the joke I made, which is terrible, uh, and I didn't mean it. I was only joking. But back when uh, Professor Xavier was uh, young again, uh, and people were going, now that Jean's back, this was when Jean was back and Cyclops wasn't. Now that yeah. Jean's back, who should we have her be, be her love interest? And I went, well, <laughs> they're finally age appropriate. Let's do this. And everybody was just like, no. no. Did, I, I don't remember that joke. That was obviously during the Charles Soul. Yes. When yes, he did right that reunion that. with the 05 around there. I... I'm, yeah, I, 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 I was only kidding. I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> Internet, was he was only kidding. <laughs> I love what you were saying, though, about, you know, picking up issue 45 and not really necessarily knowing what happened because I credit the X-Men for my ability to decipher narratives. I used to work at HarperCollins and like Hachette Book Group. And I was able to read a manuscript and just dive in. And similarly, when I was in high school, I could read something like The Odyssey, for example, and not feel tremendously lost because I was already so used to diving into like issue number 17 of Mm -hmm. Mm X-Man or picking up the Onslaught crossover and not knowing who the fuck was who. And I think that's something very magical about the X-Men And I'm curious about that time in your life when you're picking up those issues and you're reading Excalibur. Was there, I don't want to ask you who your favorite X-Men is. No, you can ask me that. That's fine. Okay. So Uh, I was going to rephrase it in like a really beautiful way. Like who who resonates with you? But no, tell me, who's your favorite X-Men? Well, before I answer that, I just want to... What issue did we just say this was? Uncanny X Men two twenty three. So I want to see how old I was when I got this issue. Okay. Um, because I was pretty stupid young. I mean, I, I was seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> seven years old. When did it pop? Uh, eighty seven, November of eighty seven. So I was okay. seven years old when that came out. Um, and again, so and I just like I said, I would read any comic book you put in front of me. I. I don't want to say I didn't care. I cared. There were ones I liked more than others, but I was never going to say no. Um, Excalibur was a little bit later. Excalibur would have been, I don't know. You would have been like preteens. Yeah. 10, maybe 11. Ten, yeah. That would be my guess when I, when I got into that, who's my favorite X-Man. Uh, well, it, it all goes back to that original comic book uh, uh, experience. And it's, it's, uh, it's Kitty. It's Kate now, but Kitty back then. Oh, her Kate. Uh, well, so <laughs> that, by the way, so I don't know if you follow gay X-Men Instagram. We quote that all the time. We're all like, call her Kate. Like once the world oh, goes back it. to normal, you're going to see a lot of drag performances <laughs> to it was Agatha all along and bitch slapping people saying, call her Kate. <laughs> um. The thing about, well, the thing I will say about calling her Kate versus Kitty, first of all, like I'm on board. I was, it, it, it's unclear whose idea it was to say we should start calling her Kate all the time. In some reminiscences, it was mine. In others, it was Jerry's. I, I'm <laughs> fine with it. Again, I'll give it to Jerry. That's fine. Uh, I'm 100% on board, obviously. But one of the things I love about that is I think it's based on a, a very real thing. <sighs> I, so I should clarify. To I know to a lot of people, they associate it uh, they will read into it uh, an analogy with um, 
with trans uh, uh, issues. Yeah. And I understand that. That is not the thing that I associated it with when we started working on it. I associated it with a more straightforward thing, which is just uh, having family members who have a diminutive name that they don't <laughs> want to use anymore. <laughs> I don't introduce myself as, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't have a name that got shortened. Jordy. <laughs> yeah. I, like, like I have a friend who I call Andy, but when he introduces himself to anyone in the world, he calls himself Andrew. Yeah. Um, but he's fine with us calling him Andy. Cause that's how we know him. But he's like, but listen, just FYI, like I call myself Andrew to people. And, and it happens even more, I think in families, like, you know, brothers and sisters, yeah. if you know people from way back, I mean, well, I, I won't get into my, my, my siblings specifically because I don't want to embarrass them, but. No, I call my cousin who my, my, first of all, I still say my baby cousin and he's like 32 <laughs> and, and I'm 37 and he's 32 and his nickname was Georgie. And I still talk, you know, when I introduce him, I was, I was doing an auction back home in Florida and I introduced him to my client and I was like, this is my little cousin, Georgie. And he's right. like, I'm George Flores. <laughs> and I think that. It, I, I think for Kitty, my thought would be, for Kate, my thinking is, and obviously this is not canon, this is just me talking about my of sense of the character, but my sense of the character is that that's much more of the case of the way it is, that she, Kate is the name she wants to use with people, but I don't think she would ever be mad at the X-Men for calling her Kitty because they're her family and they love her and, and she knows that they love her. He, she knows that that's the name that they know her by. And and it's not like she was, it's not like she doesn't like that name. I don't think she hates it or anything like that. I think it's just that she was like, but also I'm an adult now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an adult person. <laughs> oh, but I, this is also, it's so easy to get me on a tangent. No, you were no, asking me I my favorite it. character. It's, it's, it's Kate slash Kitty. And I have to admit that, Back in the day, it was a infatuation. Back in the day, she was the older woman that I was in love with. <laughs> it's kind of like Adventures <laughs> in Babysitting, where the character's in love with his babysitter. Right, right. Because she was, she like was older yeah, exactly. She was fourteen. Goddess. Like she wouldn't, <laughs> she could never love me. I'm only ten or eleven or whatever I was at the moment. Um, and then obviously, I got older a lot faster than she did. Uh, so now I'm, I'm way too old for her. So I, I feel the it. same thing with Sam Guthrie. I you like, <laughs> used to love Sam Guthrie. I was infatuated with him. And now I am probably old enough to be his uncle. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the weirdest. I'll, I always remember that moment during the Fraction era where he flashes his ID and he's was like 20. Him? Yeah, it was Sam. And he's like 21. And I'm like, oh my God, I am like seven years older than this character that I grew up not only being infatuated with, but also admiring and wanting his writer's strong hair. You know what I mean? I, I'm really, I, so I argue with people a lot about the ages of characters yeah. um, because I, and, and I get it, especially having now read those early issues. I really, really get it. Why people think that the X-Men are all so old, but they're not, and they can't be. <laughs> For various reasons. Um, sorry, Cyclops is not 40 years old. He just isn't. I don't actually know that he's even 30. And I oh. know people will argue, I, listen, no one will be happy with that. But that's why what will actually happen is we will not say 
anybody's age in the comics. There will not be a comic where anybody is going. I'm not going to be flashing any IDs anytime soon. <laughs> like, yeah. like at some point there was a, apparently there was a comic where they, in my experience, when you put exact numbers on them, you, you, you are going to do, you're doing something that your people are going to regret and, or are just going to be wrong later. They're yeah. going to just be, we're going to have to go. Yeah. That no longer is the case. Sorry. No, <laughs> that I, comic is now wrong. I, I agree with you. You had Sam with his ID. You had Jean's tombstone at the end of Dark Phoenix, would have, which placed her at like 24 when she died. It's and I'm com- sorry, in advance, I'm a crazy Jean stan. But that's awesome. I think as you sort of mature when you're reading these characters, you do have to buy into the sliding timeline. And things like a specific age of the character, it's like, the character's age needs to be ambiguous. Otherwise you can't have stories, you know, they're going to age out and then you don't have a story with Cyclops or Emma or anyone in like the O5 already, Here, you know, planning for retirement. You, do you want to, you want to, do you want to be uh, uh, upset about the sliding time timeline here? Here we go. Who was president when the fantastic four went up in their rocket? <laughs> Who do you think? Oh, you tell me. Well, we're on the borderline. It might have been George W. Bush, <laughs> but it might have been Obama. We're getting, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my face right now. Well, you know what? That's not because I, I'm forgetting what series it was. It may have been season one, X Men season one. The, oh, yeah, the I worked on that one too. Where they have iPhones. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? How do they have iPhones? But when Bendis was writing the time displaced uh, w- ones, he definitely kept writing them like they were from the 60s. And we were going, Brian, like, I get it, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. They're not that old. Like, they're like, they're like going like bottled water. And we're going, no, it wasn't. It was, it was 10 years ago. That's, they had bottled water back then. Yeah, <laughs> they had would- that. It would be 2011. I always keep that in my. I'm. How I mean, it, it, it's you know, 12 years. Yeah, whatever, before. whatever it is. But yeah, like, yeah. like I remember when it was shocking to me when I realized that the entire Marvel age of the Marvel universe was post 9/11, and I was like, oh my goodness! And now we're like significantly past that. I, I mean, again, the idea that Obama was president, maybe if we're not there now, we're very close. When the FF went up, is just. That well, is, it is mind boggling. Do you guys as a company sit down and have conversations about setting the rules and delineating, you know, where we should be at now? I, I'm just curious how something like Magneto gets, ex- I mean, now with Krakoa. There's no explanation. Krakoa um, <laughs> now, it's easy. You, you, yes. you, you have it now with Krakoa. He's a younger man now, blah, blah, blah. But that only, that only works from now. And again, that's why the, the real answer is generally speaking, what you do is don't shine a light on it. The, okay. the things that make no sense, don't spend a lot of time on. <laughs> That's why I'm going to say this. Uh, I was like, should I say this? And I'm going to say it. Say it. I read The Three Jokers. And first of all, let me say, I loved the art in The Three Jokers. It was amazing. Yeah. But I didn't care for the story. And part of the reason I didn't care for the story was that I felt like it, the story itself is based on kind of picking at a scab of comics. The, it's based on this conceit of, guess what? 
oh, you want to know why the Joker has been drawn and acting differently, com- completely differently over the years? Well, it's because there were three different Jokers. And I'm like, no, it's because there are lots of different writers and artists and they all interpret him a little differently. And you are drawing attention to that fact and making it a plot point, which is fine. Except now that it's a plot point, are we going to do one about the Riddlers? Are we going to yeah. do one about the Mr. Freezes? Are we going to do one about women. the Batmans? Yeah. yeah, like they're all different too. Don't don't shine the light on the thing that doesn't make sense. We've all accepted it. Yeah. Like, or like when people make jokes about Superman's glasses. Oh, well, his glasses went. Yeah, we already accepted that. Don't worry about it. If you if you weren't on board for that, here's another dumb example. When I talk to people about the movie Snowpiercer, which I think is awesome, and oh, they I go, seen it. "It's a lot of fun," but here's the thing: there are a number of people who will go. It's it's totally dumb. The idea that they're on a, a, a train after the apocalypse and it's still running like that's nonsense. And I went, yeah, but you know what? That's the thing <laughs> you need to accept to start watching minute one of the movie. So you're right. If you're not on board for that, don't bother. Don't watch the film. Yeah. <laughs> you're not <But> on board. <laughs> this goes to what we're saying, which is you need to sort of accept things when you're jumping into these narratives and you could be a disgruntled reader, but I just feel that detracts. And by the way, I, I, I don't want to throw any shade because I've been there. You know, I was a pretentious English major, you know, reading comic books. And of course you want to pick out these narratives and, and find the flaw in their structure, but you can't do that because you're going to detract from the enjoyment of these stories and you're not going to see the forest for the trees with some of this stuff. You know what I mean? These are, listen, they are comic books. I love comic books, but comic books are goofy nonsense. And that's what's, that's at least part of what's fun about them. And if you, if, and again, Oh, the camp. I know not everybody. Yeah. I know not everybody wants to say that and wants to admit that, but the fact is it's true. And if you weren't on board for that, you would stop reading comic books and you would just watch dramas. (laughs) That's fine. Those exist. You can have that fun, but something is making you want to watch the Kaisen's fan next punch each other. And, (laughs) And <laughs> well, I can I can think of a couple. <laughs> I mean, for me, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's going to be fun, and that's why. Another thing I should say is, and I've said this in other places too, but like I, I, and especially in sailor business, I like to nitpick and 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 give a hard time to things, but it's because I love them. Like oh, I love comics, and I love superhero comics. That doesn't mean they're not stupid. I, same with Star Wars. I love Star Wars, but here's the dirty secret of all Star Wars. They're all dumb. <laughs> if you go like, what about this movie's so dumb? Yeah, they're all dumb. The first one was dumb, but it's great. It's also amazing and great. <laughs> what you like to nitpick at things, it's not like I don't hear you weekly in my head <laughs> with Sailor Moon. No, but I know what you're saying. And it's, I don't think, I think nitpicking gets a, a bad rap you love these narratives. You love yeah. these stories and you can see them for what they are and, and diving into them. But wait, I, d- I don't want to deviate too much because oh, sure. I want to know which is your favorite X-Men crossover. Oh, um, probably Inferno. Uh, yeah. I mean, Inferno was a blast. Uh, well, we're going to, I don't know if we're, I know why you're excited. Well, I don't, there's lots of reasons to be excited, but I don't know if I, well, I like everything about it. It's super fun. Why it do also, you think I'm excited? Because you love Madeline. You just you, you <laughs> exactly. said that. Yeah. But I mean, to me, I think of part of what I think of Inferno is it's the place where her story ended forever. <laughs> oh, my God. I invite you into my house. 
and you're throwing shade at Madeline Pryor. No, no, no. Hold dare on. You? How <laughs> dare you, Jordan D. White? How dare you? It, sorry. The other, the other thing I like about Inferno is that it's one of the first ones that I experienced tangentially. Because, okay. like I said, I was also, before I was into even Excalibur and again Excalibur tied in but I read that tie in much later I was reading Spider-Man books so I was introduced to Inferno as this crazy thing where all of a sudden Spider-Man was fighting demons where yeah. Mary Jane had to smash jewelry that came to life and <laughs> and and, and there, I was just like what is going on this is insane and then eventually much later getting to find out well here's the actual story behind that I was like so into it I was just like this is really cool um there's well, there, some nutty stuff that happened in non-X books in that stuff. It, what's the nuttiest thing you came across as a reader? Um, well, okay. I, I believe that was when Daredevil fought Mephisto. Oh, yeah. I'm, lo I'm is, just looking to see if I have the trade here. Which in is pretty function. crazy. That is um, crazy. Uh, I mean, the Spider-Man stuff was all, was all completely nutty. Uh, Hobgoblin got turned into a demon for no reason. <laughs> a little on the nose there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, wait, what? Um, I'm trying to remember what the Avengers, I, I wasn't reading Avengers at the time, but again, I read it later. I think it was like the forgotten one and, and Captain America in his black costume, calling himself the captain and a couple <laughs> of the FF were all on the team randomly. It was mm -hmm. just like, it, it was a very weird time. Uh, and the fact that they did this strange crossover where they're like, well, guess what? All of, all of Manhattan turns into monsters go. <laughs> and everybody just went, it. yeah, okay. I'll just do it. That's fine. <laughs> Who do you think in the X office also loves Inferno? Who do you think gave me the same exact response to that? Well, everybody. It's, it, it is, I think that Inferno is the most popular X-Men crossover. Let me think if there's, if there's a cup. That's actually interesting. I didn't think it, it would have been. I'm pretty sure it is. The answer was Zeb Wells, who, yeah. you know, told me that, of course. But he, well, he, yeah, he also loves Madeline. Yeah. Oh, really? Does he love Madeline? <laughs> Jordan D. White, why is Madeline Pryor dead? Because, well, <laughs> listen, I I have made, there's no winning this for me because I have made my arguments for my thoughts on Madeline and it just makes people furious at me. So, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you the simple version, which is <laughs> I love Inferno. And to me, Inferno's ending was the clean wrap up to that yeah. it was a weird like many weird comic book stories it was trying to fix a mistake a thing <laughs> that was done that was done kind of ill-advisedly which was cyclops got married and had a kid and then they went but what if he was with his ex-girlfriend what that's a bad idea but they did yeah. it and it, it was good in other ways like it was good because it got him back with gene which i, I do love but it was like what yeah, no, it's I... awkward. It's awkward to say the solution is it was a piece of gene that got grown into this and that and the other thing. But I liked it because it tidied everything up and it went, <laughs> it went, yes, through this, we can say Nathan is actually Gene's kid too. Yeah. Like, but it was Madeline's kid. Yes, but Madeline was sort of Gene and everything that was Madeline is in Gene now. Yeah. So all of the good feelings that we had for Jean, for Madeline and all of the bad feelings we had when she was mistreated, <laughs> we can kind of heal over by going, they all live on in Jean 
and we all can get along and be happy. And then <laughs> out of nowhere, here's Madeline again. And it's like, wait, what? With what Nate Gray though, with Nate Gray. <laughs> I still, Jordan, that was probably one of my favorite like issues ever. Like, or, or one of the first ones I started collecting religiously was the X-Men series. That's and I was, so random. <laughs> I, I mean, I was a 16 year old boy listening to Blink-182 with frosted tips. Nate Gray was up my alley <laughs> and I pick up that issue and he just got out of AOA. I'm like, okay, okay. And then like this smog like appears above his head and he's here like, what? I'm sorry, who are you? And she takes off her cow and she's here like, my name, my name is Madeline Pryor. And it's that over the top real housewife like entrance that, that she did before it was even mainstream culture. And I, you know, I, I, I like what happened in Hellions, you know, I think, and when I was talking about this with Zeb, the anger isn't directed towards editorial or the writer or the actual writing itself. Are it's, you sure? Well, <laughs> no, no. It's listen, okay. Jordan D. White, <laughs> I am such a stan. We love you here. And I, I really am angry at Cyclops because I'm like, oh, you know, Cyclops, Gene and Emma were like, nope, don't resurrect her or, or something. Uh, from their point there. of view. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't want to say from <laughs> their point of view because yeah. we didn't see the scene from their point of view. And uh, you know, maybe at some point we'll hear more about it, but I would say an argument could be made that we already have Madeline. <laughs> She's well, no. in Jean. <laughs> so that was, that also was something I think why so many people were, were passionate about that discussion because Jean does have Madeline's memories mm -hmm. and technically Madeline is a clone of Jean and there is a no duplicates policy there i know that yep. opens up the door a lot for editorial questions and we've ruminated on those on this podcast but i think it again going back to what hickman and all of you guys are doing it's creating conversations with yeah. fans oh you're not yeah. just reading I, this and moving on you know i mean i would say here's the thing i i would say when madeline died and was not allowed to be resurrected that was probably the moment she was most popular ever <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you're so salty yes well do you disagree that was like the most passion the most worked up ever like ever, all of a sudden everyone really cared and was invested in her again in maybe not ever but in a very long time at the very least let's like i don't i never saw anybody get that invested in her when she was running her own sisterhood there uh well, uh, yeah, I, yeah, the sisterhood. Like there was, she did some stuff. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. What Were you surprised by the reaction? I want to say the Twitter reaction. Were you surprised by it? Um, did you know no, it was coming? Well, I wouldn't say I knew it was coming. Well, a little bit, yes. In the sense that I, was, I wasn't as surprised by then because in the previous issues, people were already very worked up about her and her... Uh, her idea of like, I'm here to prove that I'm real. Like I, I'm going to tear down everything that you guys have done just to show that I'm a real person. Um, and everybody was very much like going like, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when I saw the reaction to her, then I was like, Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be <laughs> insane when this happens. And it, so it delivered in that respect. Absolutely. It was great. Can I, I don't remember if I asked Zeb this question or if it's been put out there. 
Whose idea was it to have Madeline die? I think it was Zeb's. I, I think it was in the pitch. Uh, okay. I mean, and by the, the way, pitch, he he's here like it was that. not fun writing that. because <laughs> no, so, of course he cares about her. That's what I'm cared. saying. Okay, but that's the thing. So th this is a fundamental divide. I mean, that's very dramatic to say, but a fundamental divide. Is between it a fans schism, Jordan D. White? A schism. Is it a schism between fans and creators? Which is that. And this is not, I, I shouldn't make it that blanket. This is not across the board, every fan and every creator, no. but, but one that is fairly common is that creators will often look at it very differently that making life difficult for the characters we love is our job. You have to. Yeah. You, you have to. It's, I think it's the right of every writer not to treat characters they like preciously, but put them through the ringer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's Krakoa. No one's story is necessarily over. This could be a Madeline Pryor podcast. I'm just telling you right now, I do have to move on because yes. I could sit talking to you till like six in the morning about it. But I'm curious oh, when, how did you start working at Marvel? Did sure. you, were you an English major in college? Did you yeah. want to be a comic book editor? Uh, what yeah. was that journey like for you? So uh, I've I've loved comics my whole life, like as 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 long as I can remember. Uh, and so yeah, I uh, I fell out of comics for a tiny bit of time, but when I got uh, together with my wife, uh, we Devin. both got each yes with Devin, we got each other back into comics in a big way. Um, well, she was still, she was reading comics, but she was reading different comics than I was reading. She was reading Strangers in Paradise and, and oh, a lot of yeah. indie stuff. And so I, that she introduced me to that, that got me to read all of that, but also got me to go back to picking up the mainstream superhero comics that I, I had fallen out of being like a broke college student. Um, and so from then on, I always wanted to work in, uh, I mean, I, I think I, I did always want to work in comics since I was a kid, but I, I don't know that I thought it was realistic. I wanted to work in storytelling of some sort. Mm -hmm. And I was an English major and I, I did English and creative writing and stuff like that. And um, I was got into comics in a stupid amount, like literally a stupid amount. Uh, I was buying $100 worth of comics a week Damn. in the early 2000s yeah, so like that was a long like a time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then when i worked for a comic store and got 30 percent off i didn't buy less i bought more <laughs> i still spent the hundred dollars i just got 30 percent more books um but anyway so i was so huge into comics and i was uh i, I did a radio show uh and my radio show it was a free format station so we could do whatever we wanted and i said well instead of doing music i'm gonna do uh, narrative. I'm going to have radio serials on my show. And I wrote some, and then I roped in more folks to wrote, to write with me. Like I would create them and start them. And then other folks would come and, and do, do episodes as well. So and like radio soap operas, they were, they were soap opera, but more, more comedy adventures. Okay. Like, so we had, we had a superhero one that I did called guard duty, which is probably my favorite. It's the one that I wrote every episode of. And it was the concept of it was that, uh, it only takes place in the base of the superheroes while they're on guard duty. 
Um, <laughs> so like it would end, most episodes would end with them getting an emergency and leaving. Mm -hmm. And probably in the next episode, if it's important, you'll find out what happened on that. But, but it's just the, just two of them at a time, usually talking about stuff, which was a blast to do. Um, but then I did like science fiction adventures. I did a, a detective series. We did, we did a bunch and I was working with, like I said, all these, these folks that I roped in to write them and working with them to, to make sure the stories all work together and then actually recording them with actors and, and editing them uh, on audio editing and then playing them on deadlines so that I can play them on my show every week. Oh. Um, and that is a lot like making comics uh, because again, I'm working with creative people on narrative trying to help make the story the best it's possible, but also doing it all on a tight deadline, getting a large crew of people to work together. Um, you, meant, you asked if I'm an English major and I am, but the other very common background that uh, I've noticed that comic book editors have is in theater. Oh. Because, because it, again, that's a lot, uh, getting a lot of people to work together on one project on a deadline making it happen now there's the live aspect to it in a lot of theater which we don't have in comics but still a, a, a good number of comic book editors i've known have had a, a theater have background. you mentioned that on sailor business i feel like i've might heard have. this before yeah <laughs> i might have like, i don't wait, know i know this story <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a wonderful analogy and i think when you said it to reiterate what you had just said it's you need to work together as a group to mm -hmm. tell a story and that was like a light bulb moment when I heard that because yeah, that's what comic books are. There's so many different hands. They're hugely collaborative. All, yeah. Yeah. And you're marching towards a deadline. Yeah. Yeah. And so that doing that radio show honed the skills that I, I use uh, and have used ever since uh, right. when, when we moved from upstate New York, Binghamton, where we lived down to the city, uh, so that my wife could go to medical school. Uh, we moved there specifically because I was like, well, if we go to the city, I, I would try to get a job in comics and I'll see if I can do it. And pretty shortly after, like I started interviewing at Marvel before we moved and maybe a month or two after we moved, I was, I started. It was, what year was that? Uh, it was September 10th, 2007. Oh, so funny enough, I was an intern at Marvel I interviewed with Mary Sprouse and then I went to the custom book publishing division, oh. which I'm forgetting who the head was, but my boss was Javon Frazier who would go on to be at Marvel video games and mm -hmm. Marvel during that time when they were on the office on fifth and yep. 45. I want to uh, Thereabouts. I yeah. don't remember. I, I don't remember the exact cross street, but right around there. But it was such a wonderful time and Toy Biz was still there. Like mm -hmm, you had Sam mm -hmm. Hetmaker, oh, Jesse Falcon. There. And it was, I, I remember going into Mary Sprouse's office, which listeners she's the, or was the head of HR. She still, fact, she still is. And just talking to her about horseback riding and shopping. And it was a very tight community. And that's why I loved about it. Because that was, that was pre-Disney. So that was when, yeah. back when Marvel was... It was pre-Iron uh, Its own Man. business, yeah. And yeah, pre-Iron I remember Man, like emails went out being like, hey, the Fantastic Four cartoon is going to be on <laughs> Cartoon Network and I go see it. And let me see if you can see this. I have the sideshow um, Cyclops and Colossus there oh. that I got from someone named Yolanda. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yolanda oh, yeah. Cruz, she, yep. Yeah, Yolanda Cruz. She had like really bleached like blonde hair and she would just 
you, I guess there, there was a company store or something like mm-hmm, that. And mm-hmm. I got that bad boy for like $25. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it was such a wonderful, magical time. Absolutely. And that, that, well, that's when I, that's, so then that, were you, so you were there when I started, as you're saying, it's um, in a different I, I think I was, was there right around then. So I was there in 2006 and then I got a job at wizard magazine. So then mm-hmm. I, I headed off to Concord. <laughs> I was living in the city and then I'd have to drive my now husband's Pontiac Sunfire through the Lincoln tunnel every morning. And, oh goodness gracious. Especially during winter. And I'm, I'm a Miami boy. And so I would just have panic attacks every single day for like the next year of my life. But, <laughs> um, what inter what what position did you interview for and eventually get? Uh, assistant editor. I started okay. as an assistant editor. I was working with Mark Panicha there. Uh, uh-huh. He at the time was running. Well, his biggest book was the Hulk. He was running the Hulk stuff. So there was Hulk and uh, the Hercules series started right around then. Right before, I think I came in. I think World War Hulk was happening while I started. I think oh, I think Rick they were Hawk. working on that at that moment. Yeah. I interviewed I him at Wizard about World War Hulk. He was so great. Oh, he's terrific. So I, I, I didn't work on the Hulk book right away, although eventually I did. There was a bunch of the reason I was hot, my position was uh, was was brought in was because uh, a weird thing at the time. Uh, if you remember, Marvel had had a deal with a company called Dable Brothers, and then that who were doing adaptations of like sci-fi and fantasy novels, and when I don't know what happened, something happened where Dable brothers was no longer in the picture and Marvel was just going to do all of those books. <laughs> and so all of a sudden there's a bunch of books that needed to be edited there in Mark's office and he didn't have enough. Uh, he, he needed more, more folks to help him with it. So they brought me in. And so I started on a bunch of that stuff. Like the, literally the first book I, that ran with my name was exiles. Number 99, Chris Claremont, writing exiles yeah, yeah but i was also at the time working on like uh, anita blake and uh i forgot about <laughs> anita <laughs> holy shit yeah yeah it was pretty nutty anita blake and uh marvel adventures the the young readers books that he was doing in that office at the time um so then shortly thereafter Exiles only went through 100. So then we did a miniseries called X-Men Die by the Sword. Oh, I remember Die by the Sword. And then it spun off into New Exiles, Claremont's yeah. New Exiles book, which is um, which is books, which are books that uh, I, I, I ha- because they were the first stuff I worked on are like really, really near and dear to me as a result. Like that's, that's why I love Sage is because she was one of the 616 characters yeah. in the, in the New Exiles, the Exiles book. book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it it just made me really get into her and looking stuff up about her and, and learning about her. And I was just like, yeah, this is great. Um, so that's what I started on. Yeah. What was one of the things that surprised you the most about being a comic book editor once you, you started? Huh? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I've been doing it for so long that it's kind of hard <laughs> to remember. Like, I know that's ridiculous, but I've, I've, no. you know, what, what is it now? It's 2021. Uh, I, I can't so, believe it's 2021. Yeah. That means I've been doing it for uh, a for really a long minute. time. For a minute. Two, 2007, it would put you at around like 13, 14, 14 years. years. Yeah. 13. Yeah. Not quite 14. Cause it was September. Like yeah. I said, so yeah, 13 yeah. years. Uh, that's a lot of my life. Um, I mean, it's not like half my life or anything, but it's a lot of it. Um, You could be raising an Usagi right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
what was what was surprising about it? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's too hard. I can't <laughs> no, think of anything. No. It's so fast paced and it's super fun, but I guess I kind of knew that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's changed you, a lot over the years too. How has your how did your enjoyment change from being a fan to 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 working on the books? How did that sort of perspective morph? Let me point. That's a really a good more. question. It it definitely changed over time. I mean, but here's the thing, and this, this is a weird thing to say, but I think if you put if you really like put a gun to my head and made me pick, I think I would say I like this is a it's a weird thing to say but I think I like making comics more than I like comics at this point in my life, which is, which is definitely weird. Cause I love comics, yeah. but I really love making comics. I really love helping, you know, bring them together and put them out. Um, no, and- I love that. You're, you're an editor first, which is what you want out of someone in your role. I mean, you want, you know, someone who understands the art of editing and has a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah, make sense? Really that kind of Absolutely. Make- Absolutely. Because there's definitely, so back in the day, uh, and by back in the day, I mean like uh, well before my time, uh, editors were writers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, well, if you go back to the beginning of Marvel, it was literally Stan writing the books, became an editor because he was overseeing things. You know, he became the editor in chief because he was overseeing things. Um, and that kind of continued to the degree that like o- over the decades there was, it was just as simple as, Hey, uh, I'll write the book you're editing and you can write the book I'm editing. <laughs> like that was a very common occurrence in the Marvel offices. By the time I got there, that was not a thing anymore. We, it was, you no, know, if you're an editor, you're an editor. If you're a writer, you're a writer. Like those are separate things. Not a hundred. I mean, there are weird exceptions where like, you know, obviously Joe, would be editor in chief and he's doing a project, but that's, that's a different weird thing. Generally speaking, editors don't write comics anymore um, until they, you know, stop being editors and go off and do their own thing. Um, but I think that's in, in many ways good. Like, because yeah, we, we, we aren't there to be writers. We're there to help the writers and to work with the writers. And obviously we, we all know a thing or two about writing and there are probably some amazing writers who are editors at Marvel right now um, who, uh, well, I know there are people who are great writers there who are either write other things that are not comics or, or, you know, et cetera. But, but it's, it is a different thing. It's not as simple as being a great writer doesn't automatically mean that you're a great editor no, and vice versa. Um, there, they are different skills. I, I do love editing comics because well, first of all, it's much easier than writing comics, I think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I... it depends how you look at it. There are definitely parts of it that are different that my writers would not want to be doing. Yeah. In fact, I know that for a fact. But but you get to participate in the creative and you get to help with it. And I, and that's one of the things I pride myself in, trying to, you know, we're talking about my opinions on characters. Mm-hmm. I try not to put those yeah, you have to be objective. Into yeah, I don't, I don't. For, I try not to force those on people. I'm sure there are places where my influence has happened or, or whatnot, but that's because it's, we have, we're people and we're having a conversation. And I will, you know, make recommendations. I don't force people to do stories that they don't want to do. It, I always want to go. What's the story they're trying to tell? And then I help them tell the best version of that, even if it's not the story I would have wanted to tell. Um. 
And you can tell because I let him put Madeline in the book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what? I'm here, Jordan. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You see me being enchanted by how you're talking. I'm literally, and then you throw, it's like <laughs> water in my face. Why would you do that to me? Now you know how Chris Sims feels every episode of uh, <laughs> Although he, he 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 is plenty mean to me, so there you go. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But 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 it's but that's true. I mean, like you know, one of the things I remember that X Men fans used to get really mad at me about was was they would ask me about Magneto and what are my thoughts on Magneto, and I was always like, I think of him primarily as a villain. Like I think of him as the antagonist that the X Men fight. Right. He represents he represents something that. You know, he is a different viewpoint from the X-Men, one that is too extreme for them that they disagree with. He is there to, again, much like the outer century, he is there to be wrong. Yeah. He is not the good guy. He is the opposition. Um, they get super mad at me because many people are like, no, he's absolutely a good guy. But if you look at the comics that we're making, I'm not going to say to them, no, Jonathan, I mean, no, is a, is a bad guy. Like he's telling a great story that involves him being good. Yeah. Uh, well, or, or asking the question at least like putting him in a position of, of being on the same side as all of our guys and in, in a position of power. And it's amazing and brilliant. And I am, have no interest in going to them and saying, but now when are you going to get around to the part where he's a villain? No, they are showing me first of all they're showing me new sides to the character and and, and <laughs> having him grow all the time which is awesome and will change my opinion on him and is changing my opinion on him in many ways but i'm i'm happy that i don't force those things onto people because that's that's not a recipe for good comics well because you're a good editor and <laughs> i do my best that is what an editor does and yeah i've seen comments when you or anyone else gives an interview and they're like how could one of the comments i i think kind of stands out is when you said that gene and cyclops's marriage no longer exists because of what happened in secret wars and then that cyclops died and the timeline was reset so they oh, whatever, <laughs> whatever the fuck you said but i remember people like getting a bee in their bonnet and i'm like dude he's just the editor and i don't know if it's because <laughs> when you when you are when you come from an editorial background and I'm not saying I, I did book publishing, I did not do comic book publishing, but book publishing, you're there to help the writer usher in the story they want to say. My opinion on anything is sort of irrelevant. You're, you're, you happen to be asking me a question. So I'm going to give you my thoughts, right. but exactly. my other hat where I'm an editor, I am, I'm helping my writer tell the story they want to tell. Right. If you, if, if they want me, if people want me to answer the questions as no, but like, what is the answer in your role as Marvel editor? Then the answer is like, it depends. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Magneto? Well, it depends on who's writing them and what they want to do with them. Like, that's not a fun answer. Like there's not going to be anything good there. I answer it from my <laughs> own point of view. Um, Have you been surprised by maybe a character that you weren't feeling and a writer brought in a story and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually like now I yes. now have a new perspective. I can, uh, you know, again, this is, a, I, I'm so hesitant to answer any of these questions because I, all I can do is make people mad at me, but oh, yeah, magic. I, I didn't think magic was super interesting um, because I was not, an old school fan of new mutants by which I mean, I didn't read it back in the day. Like I've, I've looked at it over time, but like it didn't, it wasn't one of my childhood books. So I don't have this passion for those characters that, that some folks do. And that's awesome. But magic in particular, pardon me, 
because my main experience with her was when she came back uh, from the dead, I was like, I'm not that into her. Like, I don't really trust her. Like she's kind of like, I I was, I, I honestly, I was kind of like, wait, but it's not really her. And also maybe she's evil. Like what, why do we like her? (laughs) And then, then in Kieran's amazing uncanny run where she is so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. She's so awful. team. Yeah. She's so awful to Colossus. And this is how bad she is. I feel bad for Colossus. Colossus <laughs> is an awful person. <laughs> I won't ever forgive him. I'm sorry for what he did to Kitty. Uh, specifically, what did he do to Kitty? He, he, oh my God, you're going to make me do this. He, he went on Secret Wars. Oh, 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 yes, yes. I'm forgetting. What is the character's name? Zaji. Zaji. And she has never appeared again. Well, because she died. But he he went to Secret Wars, fell in love with this woman. Yeah. Who couldn't speak the same language as him. Like, he he fell in love with her. She died. He comes back and he says to her, "Um, so listen, I've been away and I thought we were in love, but turns out we weren't because i was actually in because i wrote what real love was on this alien planet with this lady who couldn't speak to me now here's where i'm going to get a little controversial about it like it's messed up to me because that's like in so many ways to me that's way more of a betrayal than cheating on her like if he went to that alien planet and he slept with zaji and then came back and went i'm never going to tell her about it does that make him a bad person sure but like on some level, I could forgive that because on at least on some level, you would say he cares about Kitty and he doesn't want to lose her. And instead, what he did was go, I don't have a chance with her. She's dead. This woman is dead. But Kitty, you and I, what we had was bullshit. <laughs> and that's why to me, when they get back together, I'm like, that's ridiculous because this is not, like I said, this is not a second chance. He cheated on me and now he's back. This is, he told me we were never in love in the first place. <laughs> How can you ever trust him again? No, I'm team kitty on that. That is, I mean, bravo, Jordan. D. White. <laughs> For that anyway. deep cut, that deep cut right there. I, 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 I was like, what? What did Colossus do to Kitty? And then oh, yeah. when you said Secret Wars, because I remember I, I didn't read Secret Wars growing up. It's only until like a year or so ago when I downloaded the Marvel Unlimited app. I was like, oh, let me check this oh, out. Oh, listen, oh, reading Secret Wars as an adult now, <laughs> it, it's not going to have the desired effect it was trying to. It was a, very much a product of another time and... And 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 primarily engaged in uh, uh, showing uh, people what these toys they're buying are. Um, and so again, as a young person, I was I was all over it. As a as a tiny kid, I was all over it. But I don't know if it holds up, unfortunately. So when you finally joined the X office and Nick Lowe left his position as senior editor, well, that's not actually how it happened. Oh, how did it happen? Um, I because Nick, so so my my involvement with the X office, not including the the New Exiles part of it, um, and actually now that I say that, I, I worked on a number of X books in Panic's office because in Mark Benicia's office because it was the Exile stuff. It was also a little bit of X Men First Class, 
Wolverine First Class, Uncanny X Men First Class. Um, I love the First Class series, by the way. Those were super fun. They those were so super great. fun. I did more of the. I did more on Wolverine and Uncanny X Men First Class, but Uncanny X Men First Class I thought was a blast. Is it kind of like I'm just trying to liken the experience I had in publishing, where you know you have a team of people and you have all these books, and maybe it belongs to another imprint, but you'll assign it to like an editor here, and and everyone sort of gets their own books. It may not be within your jurisdiction, but you're sort of all like helping out. Well, I think the reason we got those first class books is because all of the, like I said, all of the like all ages books were in Mark's office. So, oh, okay. so they, they were, even though they were X books, they were considered, well, really they're, they're, they, I mean, they're flashbacks and also they're, they're for all ages. So we were working on all the all ages stuff. Um, but then when I joined the X office, the first time was uh, when I left Mark's, Mark's office and became Nick's assistant editor. And that was uh, my first arc of X-Men that I worked on was contagion contagion. Okay. No quarant- quarantine quarantine. Ah. Is it that that's the one with where all the X-Men were sick and yeah. And I'm picturing the Emma Frost on the cover. By yeah, yeah, Greg yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right in that era. The, the, the last, I think it was the last arc that Matt fraction worked on before Kieran took over the book entirely. They were co-writing it at that point, And then Kieran took over and it was right in the buildup to uh, schism, which I was very excited about. Uh, Cause I, when I heard the story for that, I, I loved it. Um, that was when I joined with Nick now. And then I worked with Nick up through when Nick left the, the position, but I didn't take over then. I, I, by the point time Nick left as senior editor in charge of X-Men to go move over to Spider-Man, I was doing both Deadpool and Star Wars uh, as my, my primary thing. I was helping Nick out a little bit on X-Men, but for the most part, oh, not really. Gosh. Then uh, Mike Martz came back. Uh, and oh, him I forgot and, Mike Martz came back for a minute. Yep. Him and Xander Jarway were working on X-Men. And I was, again, I was helping them a little bit, but for the most part, I was just doing my own books. Um, and I think I was still doing X-Men no, sorry. Uh, 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 all new X Factor as well at that at that moment. Okay. Um, but then I left. Sorry. Then when Martz left, this is so dramatic. I listen. Love- it's ridiculous. <laughs> then when Martz left, they brought my former boss Mark Paniccia onto the X Men, but I was no longer in part of the oh, X Men. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I, in my head, it it just goes from Nick Lowe to you. Okay. So okay. so Panic was back on the X Men. Or was on the X-Men at that point. And I was not part of that office. I was, because I, t- I basically just took mm-hmm. Deadpool. It was always kind of loosely, only loosely considered part of X office anyway. I took Deadpool <laughs> and Star Wars is obviously not an X book. And I just was my own office at that point. Um, and then when, right after CB came in, we kind of, we swapped in, in some ways. He took uh, Star Wars and I took X-Men and we, and we, changed, uh, we changed what we were doing across the board. And did you get any advice when you started doing the X books? Uh, Watch out for those Jean Grey stands. <laughs> well, Mark, uh, no, uh, Mark definitely I mean, did. He did uh, advise me to to keep up with the X Men Monday stuff because uh, he apparently he had had a lot of fun doing that stuff. Oh yeah, because uh, I'm as far as I'm aware, he started it. I don't know for that for a fact, but I, I, he certainly started as far as my knowledge of it. And he encouraged me to, to continue it. And I don't think I did right at first, but I did eventually take it back up and I was, I was happy to be doing it. And I talked to Nick, Nick and I talk a lot as well. So um, 
I did talk to Nick a lot about what we were doing. And uh, I mean, and Mark gave me advice in the sense that because that's a good place where we're, we're swapping books rather than like someone leaving the company entirely. He was able to like really uh, walk me through where everything yeah. was and what's going on, which is not always what happens when you, when you have those editorial shakeups for various reasons. Um, it's good to so, have a mentor there. Yeah, absolutely. They're, and they, both of them are great. Like I'm, I'm super happy that I worked for both of them uh, over the years. And I, obviously I owe my entire career to Mark because he's <laughs> the one who hired me in the first place. I love that. So you're in the X office now and Hickman's era has just been so revolutionary. I'm curious, how, how was the pitch for that coming to you? And I remember my author at Harper was Charles Soule. And I was like, I said something to him. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm such a big X-Men stan. And he's here like, oh, well, just wait. In a couple of months, you know, something big may happen. And that's all he said. And I was like, oh, sure. Like, you know, but holy shit, did that deliver? (laughs) And I'm curious, how did that pitch come to you? And what was your reaction to that? When I came into the X office, um, when when they brought me in, you know, I, and again, I was taking over the the tail end of of all the projects Mark was working on. Um, one of the things they said to me that CB said to me was, "Jonathan might be coming in to do something. We're, we're we're working on getting Jonathan to come in and do an X project, but that was it. Like I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what form it would take. I didn't know." what it was about. Um, and in fact, I don't remember if this was specifically said to me. I think it was, but I don't know where this, whether this was understood by everyone incorrectly, or if it was somebody making a misunderstanding, but like the, the idea was, was, was around that he was just going to come in and do a mini series. And that was it. Yeah. So he, Jonathan's got this idea for an X-Men mini series and he'll come in and do this mini series and then we'll be able to just do whatever we're doing. So I was just like, I don't know how I'm supposed to plan for that. I don't know what else, how I'm going to deal with that. Like, what does that even mean? Does that mean like we'll, we'll just start doing what we're doing and then he'll do his mini series and we'll go back to what we were doing. Like, what does that mean? None of us knew because n- nobody really knew what he was going to do. Um, he had pitched a, an X-Men thing a few years earlier, which has connections to what he ended up doing but in many other ways is very very different from what he ended up doing so so we really had no clue what he was going to do um eventually they worked out all the you know business stuff that 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 was lined up to get him in place and he came to the office and he pitched it to us uh in person so it was me uh let me see who was there me cb uh Dan Buckley, Joe Casada. I think, I think Tom Brevoort and Nick Lowe were there just because again, they're like executive editors at Marvel and maybe, maybe Darren Shan, who was, who was an editor who was working for me at the time. I I think that was the whole crew of people who were there. I I might be missing one or two people. And I I apologize if I am like, I can't remember if Annalise was in there or not, who, who was my assistant already at that point. Yeah. Um, and he pitched the story, uh, and, 
I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. no, we can't do that. Like that doesn't work. Like we definitely can't what, do what, what specifically didn't you initially like just out of curiosity? Well, the big, the biggest thing that I didn't like it did not happen. Is, okay. Did is the, the biggest thing that changed. Um, I, I don't think I should say what it is yet. Uh, there will be a time when I can say what it is, okay. but mostly because not because it's like, Oh, it gives away this very specific thing. It's more, it's more just because to talk about it in depth, I would have to talk about our thinking on the whole thing and, and wh where we're coming from on things that are not Absolutely. done yet. So like it, it itself doesn't necessarily spoil anything, but I just, I, I'm just not there yet. Unfortunately. It's okay. We'll do a round two. Once, once sure, the story someday. is told someday, someday we'll do a round two. It's um, but here's the thing. I wasn't the only person who had a problem with that thing. And mm -hmm. one of the other people who did was Joe Quesada and he had a suggestion, which is what Jonathan ended up adapting. Okay. Uh, adopting i should say uh, and that piece of it was a big change now the other reason there the, there were two reasons i did like it one was that and that it had a very it gave it gave a very specific meaning to the story that i didn't think was a good idea yeah and i was like that we can't do that and here's why the other reason though was just that it was so different from what i was thinking we were going to be doing because like I said, I had no idea what he was going to come in here and pitch. You and really I had, had no zero. idea, none. And I had no idea that he was coming to pitch. I'm going to come in and do a thing after which everything will be different forever. Wow. Um, I didn't know that was the scope he was talking about. So when we were planning going like, what are we going to do? Well, he'll probably, it was kind of like, Jonathan's going to come and pitch a story. He'll probably do his story around here on the calendar. Um, we need to figure out what we're going to do before it and after it and et cetera, et cetera. And we were like, okay, sure. And we were throwing around ideas and all the ideas we were throwing around were like blown to smithereens by it. Cause it was like, I mean, obviously it's not something you could have anticipated. It's not something no. that anyone anticipated. Um, so it, upset the apple cart so much that I was just like, what? No. Um, that side of me was the one that went away quickest. Like it was like, okay, but like, wait, yes, this wasn't what you were going to be doing. This wasn't what you thought you were going to be doing, but like, look at what it actually is and look at what it actually does. And it was like, Oh, actually there's some amazing stuff in here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and the more I would think about it, the more super into it I became. So that like pretty quickly, I was not only on board, but like incredibly on board. And especially, like I said, when, when that one big element was like, switch that around, it became like, great. Now I can be unapologetically <laughs> on board and I just love it. I can't wait to hear what it was one day because <laughs> my curiosity is so peaked right now. And it's a pretty big one. I, I will wait for that day. I will be waiting until you guys reveal it. My, so, so he has this big story. He's bringing that big story in, into the X office. It's going to change everything. You guys all have to process it, digest it. But another thing that, that changed that I don't think I've seen before, or at least paid attention to is that Hickman had has a title now in the X office. Oh yeah, no, that's Adam pretty X, new. Which is yeah. Hawks, which I love. Does he like does he have a desk at Marvel like before pandemic? Um like how how did the workflow 
changed? Is he like a, a director? Is he also like an editor? How would you describe he, that workflow? Yeah, Jonathan is doing things. I mean, he's not literally doing the job of editor because there are things that, I mean, there's lots of things editors do that he doesn't ever do and will never do. Mm-hmm. But there are things that he is involved in that normally only editors would be involved in, which is again, planning in the direction of lines and, and, you know, it's, he does not, you know, the books that I'm editing, right. Uh, and in fact, all the books in the X office, I read every single one of them before they go to press. Um, the ones I'm editing myself, obviously I read a bunch of times, but the, but the ones that, you know, Mark Basso is editing or that uh, Jake Thomas is editing or that Annalise is editing now, Annalise Bissa. Um, I read them all. Uh, at least once. So I'll probably read a script. Uh, I mean, I'll be involved in the planning on some level. I'll probably read the script depending. And I'll definitely read it and give any notes that I have to make sure everything is all together. Jonathan doesn't read every book, um, but he is involved in the planning of every book. I gotcha. And he's involved in the direction. And he also, you know, you, you, you mentioned people talking about how uh, great of a guy he is and how nice he is. And the fact is that he really is. Um, He's an incredibly generous uh, person with his time and with his advice. And he's so smart and he is very much there to help all of the writers if they need it. Um, Oh, that's wonderful. Like he wants, he wants everybody to get the best out of this experience and to do their best. And so he's, uh, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he's like a, a cuddly teddy bear or something, but he, <laughs> he everybody like knows they can, <laughs> but everybody knows that they can count on him and that they can trust him. I love that. Zeb was also telling us that when he was at a Marvel summit, he saw Hickman at like, I don't know, like the refreshment stand, whatever. And he just like beeline to him and was like, oh, can I go to the X-Men summit that you guys are having next weekend? Jonathan was like, not quite, but you can pitch me an idea. And Zeb was talking about how when he pitched him, it was such a wonderful process. And before he knew it, he was back on the Mm X-Books. And I love that Hickman has such a wonderful reputation because I do think as a reader, Hoxbox was revolutionary for us. And I'll never forget like reading that, I'm forgetting like the second issue where it's revealed that Moira is a mutant and Mm -hmm. literally my jaw dropping and just being so incredibly happy. And, And however that idea came to fruition, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot more to it. I just... I just, I'm so curious about what you guys talk about on a day to day on that. Slack. Slack? No, oh, on no, the Slack. on the, oh. on the Slack, because I don't know. I don't know if you saw when with the X-Men vote, we recorded uh, Jeremy Ratchford, who was the actor in generation X for BNC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I saw that. Yep. And Leah messaged us saying, wow, everyone on the X Slack got like a really great kick out of this. And I was like, there's an X Slack. <laughs> Like, yes. Yes. Like that's, and I know you already talked about this earlier on, but yeah, all the writers are on there. Um, you know, and like I said, all the, the editors in the office and we, we have, you know, we have channels for every book and we also have other channels, like a, a general channel for all sorts of things. But then we also have like a, a, a 
I guess I could say we I could give away that we have a tiki bar channel where we can talk about whatever we want. <laughs> like just talk about fun stuff. Um so a lot of times, yeah, like we will just I'm trying I'm trying to think if I can talk about anything that we're talking about on there right now. Let me see. Probably not. I mean, in the sense that wait, I can talk about the fact that we are going into details about the Hellfire Gala and oh you know trying to make sure everything is coming together as we plan that. Um, what else have we been talking about today? Anything I can say? We had, like I said, we had a big uh, Zoom call. So there's definitely been some some continuations of talk from that. Okay. Uh, here's, here's uh, yeah, people, people trying to plus up each other's ideas from that. People trying to pitch books. Uh, wait, we should all do this. I can't go into any detail on that. No, obviously. it's totally fine. I'm just like a little boy staring at you being like, yes, it sounds amazing. What are we talking about in the Tiki Bar right now? Let's see. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't talk about any of that either. Let's see what else. Is it stuff that fans are going to be really excited for? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. well, for, yeah, it, not necessarily always in the Tiki Bar, because in the Tiki Bar, we're mostly just being dorks. Um, people posting memes, uh, you know, people posting, uh, yeah, here's a WandaVision meme. Oh, what's a WandaVision uh, meme? Yeah, of course. What's the one? Um, it's Wanda and Vision in the Oprah interview. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the Sailor Moon one? No. Hang on, let me see if I can pull it up for you. Yeah, I just posted it. But it's basically that opening, you know, episode where Tuxedo Mask, you've seen it where he's here, like, right. my work is done. And Sailor Moon's like, but you didn't do anything. But Tuxedo Mask is Wanda. And she says, my work here is done. And then it's Dottie saying, but you caused all this. And then Wanda <laughs> flying away. Like, let's see. Right there. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I mean, yeah, like, we we have we it, we have a lot of fun there, and uh, you know, what else are people talking about? Again, I can't, I can't, I can't. So much of it I can't say, but we're, mostly we're just talking about ideas we have for. Oh wait, what if we did this? And then other people going, oh yeah, or wait, but no, it has to be that instead. <laughs> um, for sure, we do have you, a, we have a blast. Do you credit like this sort of new era, the reign of X, Don of X era, and and Hickman as? this like very tight knit, tight knit uh, slack you guys have going on? Or do you think it's just an organic growth? I think, I mean, I think of the two things happen is. together. Yeah. No, I mean, because I don't think, I, I don't think any other office is working like this. Like I don't, I know. You guys are fact. all so in sync. Yeah. We, I mean, we, it comes across in the books. We're doing our best, but, but, but here's the thing. I will say, I, I think we're all in sync, but I also think, we're, we're also doing different stuff. One of the things I love about what we have going on in the X line is that the, we have, we have too many books, everybody says, but here's the thing we don't, because oh. you don't have to, first of all, you don't have to read them all. You, you probably don't even want to read them all. And that's okay. That's yeah. not even just okay. That's great. Like, I love that there are people who are like, I hate Excalibur. X-Force is the best book. And then there are people who are like, no, I hate X-Force. Excalibur is the best book. We're not making the same book so that you can buy the same book 12 times. We're making different books like the ones you like. There should be an X-Men book for everybody. That's ideal situation. Even to the extent that if you don't like what we're doing at all, guess what? We're putting out <laughs> X-Men Legends. Maybe you'll like that instead. If you like the old stuff, check that out. 
I love X-Men Legends so much. Well, good. I am so happy that that book exists. What What do you love about it? What are you most excited about? Well, I, so I love Extreme. So you're already kicking it off with like a story I absolutely love. But I also think... <laughs> One of the things as an X reader growing up, there there are some plot holes, you know, or, or some plots that never got resolved. And I'm I'm curious to see where you guys are going to go with that. And I feel like X Men Legends one, which is obviously the only one I've read, had such a very distinct style to it, mm-hmm. but it, it felt very modern as well. Like I felt like I was reading a book that would have been published in the '90s, but at the same time, it's not a '90s book. I mean, I, I was, I, I like working with Fabian and I, I again, yeah. I should say, clarify, I'm not the editor of that book. I oversee it, but uh, Mark Basso. Who's the editor for that one? Mark Basso. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when we were talking about that book and, uh, you know, we said, well, one of the people will reach out to is Fabian and Fabian came back with, yes, I want to do it. But what I, what I want to do is I want to do my Adam X story that they never let me do. Yeah. And I was just like, he's been talking to me about this story for ages. I mean, he's been talking to everybody about the story for ages, but he's been, I've heard him talk about this a million times. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this thing. Yeah. I w- I'm very excited we finally r- were able to give him that opportunity. How did you it? ever hear the song I wrote about Adam X? <sighs> I feel like maybe <laughs> I did. It's- I, I'm trying to think. The only song I have stuck in my head now is your Carry On. From oh. Sailor Moon and the and the intro to Sailor Business. What? Let, so uh, when I first uh, and, uh, and this is a story that is. Uh, Are you googling it right now? I'm I'm googling uh, I'm googling it only so I can because uh, I want to look at my lyrics. <laughs> um, when I started on the Xbox, I went. You know, I was it was back before my son was born, so I was playing ukulele a lot more. Unfortunately, I don't do it nearly as much as I used I used to. But he. Um, sorry. But I was like, well, you know what? I'll let me do some songs. So I went to Twitter and I said, if you you guys tell me who you want me to write a song about, and I'll write a song about them. Name name whatever X Men you want. And here's me thinking they're gonna make me write about Cyclops, even <laughs> though I, I've said like I don't love Cyclops because I didn't at the time, although I like him a lot more now. Um, you know, they're gonna make me write about oh some character I don't want to write. They made me write about Maggot. <laughs> of course, immediately they went straight to Maggot. I'm not disparaging Maggot. Trolls, Maggot's actually trolls. great. Right. Maggot is actually great, but... I like Maggot. There's this is no not what, what I was looking for. So I wrote a song about Maggot, and I took it very seriously. And I, I went, I, like, I wrote a song that like, it goes into his origin all the way through to his, his death, even though he was not dead anymore, but it, all the way through to his death. Like, it, it talks about a bunch of things. I, I thought it went really well. Um, so then I went, okay, guys, we're going to do this again. I asked you who you want me to write a song about. You gave me Maggot. Please don't do this to me again. Just just give me a character. Just give me a character that's good. And then they go with Adam X. The greatest character ever. Well, here's the thing. Uh, he's a pretty obscure character. Let's let's at least acknowledge that, okay. right? You're, you're absolutely right. And so I wrote, I went, I my kind of screw you guys back to them was the song I wrote where I went I I went really hard on Mag- like I did research for Maggot like I was like I'm gonna reread his origin I'm gonna reread his death I'm gonna like reread important issues so so then I wrote the song called uh, about Adam X and it's literally a song about how I don't know anything about Adam X it's <laughs> <laughs> I will here here's here's some some lyrics. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I'm amused by my own self, but I am no, amused by my own self. I, I'm very amused right now. There's a girl who is surrounded by a slippery force field. There's a guy who blew his face off and it never really healed. There's a dude who can find anyone who's also very pale. There's a werewolf king slash EVP with sharp and scary nails. There's a kid called Squid Boy who is actually a fish. There's a girl with lots of ghosts who give her luck of the Irish. There's a guy who looks like no, there's a guy whose looks could kill if he's without his special specs. And I know more about each of them than about Adam X. <laughs> <laughs> And there's there's two more verses like that. And the only place where I actually say anything about Adam X is the, the bridge where it says, all true, I know he wears a backwards hat and that he's very spiky. And somebody on Twitter told me that told me his blood burns like fire. I know that him returning isn't really all that likely. And he's not a Summers brother, despite Fabian's desire. But now this song is false. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. first of all. I mean, that is genius. Did you actually perform it? Can oh, I find yeah. that on YouTube? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'm going to find that on YouTube. It's called yeah. About Adam X. The, 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 the album I was making called Tune Me My X-Men. Nick Lowe used to write songs too, and he wrote one of Agents of Hate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a Next Wave one. It was terrific. Um, so I'm a huge, as I just said, I love Adam X. Is the last issue can we move forward on the assumption that he is a summer's brother well i mean there's that's a good question and you I don't have to answer it by the way you yeah, there's, I'm sorry. there's questions to be answered in issue two we'll have to see what happens and is it just those two issues that's going to deal with adam x and then you move on to the yeah I'm then sorry, we're going but... on to uh uh walt and wheezy doing about Adam X, Jordan D. White. Sorry. No problem. Okay, there you are. Oh my God. I hope you like it. I will. I'm not going to play. Am I playing my banjolalia? I think I'm playing my banjolalia in that one. Yeah, you are. Oh my God. You look so into it. I didn't know you have a YouTube channel. You have 143 oh. videos. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I used to, again, I used to do it pretty regularly, but it's been a, a while, unfortunately. So the other book that I'm absolutely wild about is Sword. Oh, I, I love it. Lord. I love that you guys have taken like characters that people have forgotten about and given them good story and good panel time. I love Fabian Cortez as well. And I think it's because I see so much of myself in him. So Iguano, I probably have delusions of grand, you know, and, and I have a band button these days. <laughs> um, but how did that, I love the idea of the mutant space program. Yeah, absolutely. Um, were you asking how it we yeah. came up with it? Or? Yeah, how did you come up with it? Well, that one I think we came up with because we knew that um, we were doing ten of swords, and we knew that the sword station was going to be a, a piece of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that we kind of went, well we should probably do a sword book, right? Like, I mean, if we're going to bring back the sword station, let's, let's, let's do it. Uh, let's do it straight into it. And we went to Al cause we love Al. Oh, he's great. Um, I mean, I've, I've worked with Al a few times and I love it. Uh, the rocket book that we did together where rocket is a, a space criminal. He's basically oh, like, yeah like a like parker from the parker novels in space it, it's amazing and also he did you are deadpool which if you haven't read you are deadpool it's a it's also amazing it is a oh choose your own adventure game yes. in was it five issues in a five issue deadpool mini where it's deadpool jumping 
around in time. Uh, like one issue takes the first issue is in the present. The second issue is in the sixties. Third is in the seventies and the fourth is in the eighties. And then the last issue is weird. Um, and like, it's choose your own adventure, but it's not just choose your own adventure. It's choose your own adventure and like roll dice to have fights and try to win things and like pick up objects and put them in your inventory and ridiculous. It's insane. And Al thought out every bit of it so well, and it worked so well in my opinion. So anyway, you guys pitched him. We love, we love him. Yeah, yeah. We just went to him and said, yeah. would you be interested in doing sword? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah. And he came <laughs> back to us with an amazing uh, array of ideas that we were like, absolutely, let's do this. Like, so we didn't pitch him the story at all. Just, just what would, what would you do with sword? Here's, here's what we're going to do with sword. What would you do from there? And he, yeah, he came to us with all the ideas and it's awesome. It's such a great book. I mean, it's from the art, from the dialogue to the characters to Magneto being salty and being like, oh yes, the pretender. I, it's just so, it, it just made me really happy. And, I think I read it just at the right time at the end of 2020 because 2020 was such a, you know, for the rest of the world as well, it was such Mm -hmm. an awful year. And it just made me happy. Like I was back home in Miami. I was on the beach. I was like, oh, let me check this out. I didn't plan on reading it, by the way, because S.W.O.R.D. wouldn't have traditionally what I was thinking, like S.W.O.R.D. probably wouldn't have been a book that I would be wild about. And I was just like, this is the best surprise I have ever had that's one of the risky things that we have sometimes done is that like you know when we do stuff where we take a concept and turn it a little different you know you run that risk that people are like well i already know what that is and i don't like it or i or well if they like it they'll buy it so that's fine but you know what i mean like i already understand that thing so then they don't like for example another example being cable um i love kid cable like the cable book we're doing right now is pretty different than any cable book before, but it's also, it's that one is risky too, because in addition to being different from cable. So if you are like, well, I don't like cable books, you still might like this. Yeah. Also, it's not what you might expect from a kid cable book. If, If you, if you're like, well, I've read all the books that have kid cable in them before. And I know what that's like. Well, we're doing them a little bit different too. Um, it's a risky thing to do because you're, you're, you're counting on people giving you that chance to prove them wrong. And that doesn't always happen. And I think, um, and I, I say that as though sword was a bad book before it wasn't a bad book before we're just doing it a little different than they did it before. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me when I was reading sword, just to, you know, cherry pick a moment here, I, I found myself being a little emotional when I saw WizKid mm-hmm. because in an age of resurrection, Mm-hmm. And being able to perfect your your body, Wizkid is still in his hover chair, and I think that lent itself, whether it was deliberate or not, sent the message that Wizkid is very happy with yeah. who he is. And I just, I you know, I I have a lot of insecurities with my with my body, and I seeing that just made me so happy that you can love yourself flaws and all, and you're not, there's no hurdle in front of you. Like WizKid is perfect the way he is. And I just thought that sent such a really great message. And also I just fucking love him in a red hover chair looking boss with his kicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just such a, it was just so wonderful. And and I even think like, even though Fabian um, was the butt of the joke of the issue, I kind of like even felt sorry for him. I was like, he, 
did devote himself to Magneto's cause. And Magneto's like, who the fuck is this again? And He's you know, no he, peepers. And yeah, and then, <laughs> exactly. And like, you see him in the background like that. I've tweeted that photo so much like lo-fi Monday, you know, where you, with uh, his face crack. But like, even when like Agent Bran is like, oh, I guess we need you now. And he's, you're like, yeah, of course you do. I'm the fucking power. And how, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a book that's really speaking to me right well, now. Well, I hope, I hope you, uh, <laughs> I hope you continue to enjoy his appearances. Oh, I absolutely will. Wait, I, I don't want to veer again too much off because I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. the X-Men vote and how oh, insane sure. that was. I mean, yeah. we tracked down Jeremy Ratchford just so he can endorse Banshee. And like other podcasters now, were doing things as well. Did you endorse, did you have him endorse Banshee because Banshee was your top choice or because you were just trying to? We were flip floppers. I'm going to yeah. tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. So we just checking, just checking. <laughs> so I thought Cannonball in an era of Krakoa is needed where everyone, where you have Sinister, Mystique on the council, you have Sebastian Shaw, everyone's going rogue. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with this government? And you, know, you know what I mean? I thought Cannonball would play game. He would be a good boy scout. He will take his orders and he'll try to do his job the best he can. However, one of the things that we've kind of talked about, you know, over the course of many episodes was, oh, Banshee is there, but has no voice, you know, like there he is in, in, in 10 of swords. We're so excited. Oh, but Banshee just like turned on his side. You know what I mean? So we were like, no, Banshee deserves it. He needs a lot of love here. So then we have already been trying to reunite the Generation X TV movie cast. And we did Heather um, and Randall who played Jubilee and Refrax. You know, we're, 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 we've been trying to get Fanola. We got the guy who played Skin and we're, we're on the hunt for the actress who did M and, and a Husk. So we're had Jeremy coming in, but we were like, we're so fucking excited for Banshee. Like, what is this Banshee fever? So like good politicians, we flipped and, and we, we went there with Banshee. No, that's super cool. Um, what? Yeah. So wait, wait, so what was the question? So, okay. I'm going to ask you two questions. (laughs) I'm going to ask you two questions. I I don't want spoilers. I don't good because I can't give them, but so obviously, you know, who won. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you get that like result like immediately or, or just like it does it take like a second? Like, does it have to be vetted through whoever's counting the votes? Like, did we someone have... like slack you and they're like, hey, you know, XX won? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I we found out. I mean, not literally like the minute. Well, it was the middle of the night. So, <laughs> yeah, we weren't. Oh, that's right. We didn't get the, the results at midnight uh, when the polls closed. But we, uh, you know, I think the next morning they did some tabulations and they, they let us know uh, what the official standing was. Yeah. And how did everyone react to the winner? Uh, <laughs> well, we went into it. Oh gosh. I, I, I have to be so careful of how yeah, I say things. There's, a, there's so little that has been revealed. We went into it with a list of 10 characters mm-hmm. who, despite how varied they are, were 10 characters that we would all be happy to win. Okay. Like Absolutely. We, we didn't put anybody on the list that we wouldn't, that we would be unhappy, that we would be like, damn it. Like there was no, there was, I mean, there are people who would be like, damn it, depending on them, but nobody in, nobody involved in making the book. We were like, no, no, these are all characters we can do stuff with. Very different stuff, depending on who it is, but we're good no matter what. Okay. So we were happy. Um, 
there were, you know, there there are there are challenges associated with every character on that list. So we we kind of found out who it was. Went all right. So these are the, these are the things we need to do to make this work, and we we moved ahead. Okay, so how did the X Men vote come about? Because you guys unified so many X stands. And people were having so much fun. And like I was saying, we were campaigning, other podcasters were campaigning, fans were campaigning, Insta stories everywhere. Was that an editorial idea or a marketing idea? It was, it, oh, uh, well, it depends what you consider editorial. It was, it was Jonathan's idea. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I can say this part, which is that at w- the very, very first idea was, what if we just let them pick the entire team? But we changed our minds from that relatively quickly. <laughs> not, not entirely because we knew it would be a team of like Maggot and Adam X, but, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd be happy. But also because. Um, because there were things we needed to work on even before. I mean, we're obviously the fact I, I hope that the fact that we're doing this so early goes to lend credence to the fact that it was real. Like we're really needed to do it early so that we could get the books prepared and make, you know, get things written and drawn, et cetera. Um, but there was other larger planning things that we wouldn't have been able to do as early as we did. Uh, if we didn't have any idea who was on the team. So when we hit on the idea that, all right, we'll pick the majority of the team and we'll let the fans pick the last uh, slot. Um, it seemed like still a really great way to get people involved, an actual legitimate way to get people involved. Yeah. Like not, it's not, cause it's again, it's not fake. If I was gonna, ooh, I, I just came so close. I was about to say, if you guys had picked blah, we would have used blah, but if I can't say that because you don't know that it's not blah yet. <laughs> Good catch. You've been doing this for a while, haven't you? It's been difficult. doing this like 13 years. But it's hard because again, like I, I, I was just in a very long meeting today where we're talking about these things very casually. So it's very casually. I have it's to c- catch my tongue. Um, yes. Whoever had one, we would have gone with and we did. Okay. That's, <laughs> so that's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, and, no, we're, and we're excited about it. And we're excited and, about and, it. And, and I'm just letting you know, we all had such fun doing this. So we would love to see more stuff like that. I, I was so, that was one of the things when we were talking about it ahead of time that I was most excited about was the idea that people would endorse characters that, that it would, because we knew that there would be fan obviously we knew fans would like campaign on some level, but the idea of like really, yeah, like really doing like official, like, no, like we're endorsing this character. Like like the way that, you know, newspapers do with candidates and stuff. And obviously, listen, obviously this was a year where there was a fraught election. Well, not this year, but last year where there was a fraught election. So there were times when it was like, are we sure we want to do this? Can people have fun with the idea of voting anymore? Or is that, is that destroyed? That's a very, no, that's a very real conversation. But I think you saw that a lot of people needed to escape. And it was fun. And, and, and we ourselves even here mocked, you know, the, yeah. the candidates and being like fraud. And I forgot what I said. Oh, yeah. The, the hit pieces. Those were yeah, the, the, hit the people pieces were doing and... were hilarious. I, I, I thought those were terrific as well. I was not expecting hit pieces. But when as soon as they came out, it was like, this is great. <laughs> 
So I'm, I'm in the home stretch of my interview questions and I'm going to ask you some like hot topic, like okay. questions. Let's do it. What, what were your thoughts on WandaVision? I thought it was a blast. It was so great. Uh, yeah. I had a great time. I, there's one thing I didn't like about it, but I don't want to dwell on it because overall I had a great time. And the one thing I didn't like about it didn't ruin the show for me. It just was like, well, I wish they hadn't done that, but that's fine. So a lot of fans think that Wanda and Pietro have been retconned to not being mutants because of the film rights. Is there any truth to something like that? Or is it just fans speculating obsessively? Is there any truth to it? Yeah, of course there's some truth to it. I mean, there's a lot of factors that went into that. Um, you know, but, I, but that was a big, you know, th- th- those those media concerns are a big part of the IP business. I mean, I, I hate talking about it as IP no. business because all I want to do is tell good stories, but you know, obviously those are considerations. Um, so I'm sure I, I wasn't involved in that book in any capacity. Um, so I don't have like the inside scoop on it, like directly, but yeah, I'm sure that was a part of it. I'm sure that was part of it. I mean, they were appearing in two movies at the time, right? So they yeah, were, yeah, absolutely. Or at least Pietro was. I mean, they're in their billion-dollar franchise. Yeah, Pietro was in Days of Future Past and Age of Ultron. I, I'm curious, though. Are have you seen like a huge influx of interest in Wanda? You know, now with with the X Men, because I know Hickman has sort of been teasing something like with the Pretender and mm-hmm. everything that we saw in Empire are we going to see a little bit more of Wanda? And I'm not asking it from a spoiler perspective. I'm genuinely curious because of the success of WandaVision and how the characters at the forefront, it seems that it would be odd that she wouldn't be in the X books. There, there, yes. All the stuff that Jonathan was setting up with that idea is still playing out. So there is going to be more to it than that, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it's happening because of WandaVision in the sense that, you know, and well, I mean, we knew WandaVision was happening when he started laying those things out, but um, we didn't, we didn't uh, go, Oh, WandaVision. Therefore let's, let's put the, the, the gas down or anything like that. It, it was just that Jonathan was setting that up so that it can get knocked down at some point. And so we are still planning to do more Wanda stuff for sure. Are Wiccan and Speed mutants? I'm confused by that. So there's a lot of confusion uh, about who is a mutant and who isn't uh, for various reasons. Oh. Uh, one, I mean, one, you know, one of the things that I've, because we're doing Krakoa, right? So yeah. where the idea is, generally speaking, 99% of mutants or whatever have, have in some way uh, come over, whatever percentage. I, I, I'm just making that up off the top of my head. Yeah, no worries. So there was a lot of stuff of like going like, okay, well, wait, so is this character mutant? Is that character mutant? Is this character mutant? Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, well, it has to do with the thing you were just talking about. There was a time in the past when it was very much in everyone's financial interest for every character to be a mutant because all mutants were the most popular thing in the world. <laughs> and then there was a time later where it was a thing in our financial interests to not have characters be mutants because of movie deals and stuff like that and, and other concerns. Um, so there are characters who have kind of ping ponged back and forth over the years that have been mutants and then not mutants and then, or not mutants and then, you know, back all sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, they were created in a weird time. I believe they are mutants though. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. Obviously they are complicated characters, but if the idea is that, 
so, I mean, is the idea right that they were like, yeah. So Wanda, it's so complicated because they were like created, right? Yeah, but like like shards of Mephisto's soul, and then they were reincarnated as Upper East Sider teenagers, or not. But they're speed. too old to have been born at that time. It's it it's very much a. We actually, I think we referenced this relatively recently on Sailor Business, going like, is this what is how does that relate to the Sailor Moon is yeah. from a thousand years ago, but she's also yeah. born now. Are her parents yeah. her parents, or is her parents from a thousand years ago her parents? What is going on? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you <laughs> and know I don't you guys know the. Answer. It's complicated. Who are who are their parents? But I think that the answer at the end of the day is yes, they're mutants. Because even if we say all of that stuff is true, and yes, she created them out of this, that, and the other thing, when they were created, she believed she was a mutant and she thought they were her children. So they have powers because they are mutant powers. She would have created them to have the X gene and to have the powers. I believe also we've shown. Speed has been just showing up in X Factor. And I think he can do that because he is a mutant. And I think we might've even talked about, I'm trying to think if we took, we in, in sword, when they talk about uh, the fact that, uh, that Wanda is, uh, is uh, the, the pretender mother-in-law of the, the head of the, the scroll. The emperor's emperor's mother-in-law. Right. And it I'm, doesn't do well for relations with the mutants if the X-Men are, or Krakow, excuse me, have declared war. And I can't remember if they mentioned, though, the idea that, that he was a mutant or not. Uh, I don't think they did. I don't remember. I think, though, that I, my, my takeaway on it is that I believe that they are. Um, it's possible that I'm wrong. <laughs> but I believe that they are. There doesn't seem to be any reason that they wouldn't be. Okay, okay. So my next question is one I have been dying to ask wait, you. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm going to stop you then. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah. Because here's a, here's a hotly debated one. Here's a hotly debated, yeah. is this character a mutant? If you're going to go with Franklin, like my eyes are No, 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 crazy. no, no. no. I'm not <laughs> because that's been answered. Yeah. No, I'm going to go with a, 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 a really tough one. Okay. Is Cassandra Nova a mutant? Oh. <gasps> That's a really good question. So is she a mutant? Well, I guess she would have been in utero with Xavier. So she would have been conceived with the X gene, but then she died. Her body. Well, her, died. So that body, right? That body yeah. certainly had an X gene because it was, yeah. I mean, it was kind of like made out of Xavier, right? But, but isn't wait, wait. she not that? Isn't she a mental entity? Isn't she well, a mama drive? Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly it. So when she was in, I, I don't remember I, the, the, the takeaway I had with Morrison's story with that was there were twins. They were conceived. Cassandra tried to kill Xavier. Then Xavier killed her in the uterus. Presumably it was a stillborn. And then she became a psychic entity. So I don't think the psychic entity body she has would be a mutant per se yeah you could i mean you could certainly say well it all it's all a question of where her where she began because then wasn't there well isn't she like the concept of a mama dry is really weird right because isn't there something in there where they talk about the idea of a mama dry as being like the dark opposite which to me sort of suggests that rather than being his twin who was born, lived, died, and became a psychic entity. She was a psychic entity who became his twin. Oh, I, but I don't know. Because, <laughs> no, because Gene says that it's we have to confront the mama dry in our uterus. Like we all have that. So I see what you're saying. I think the difference 
is is our read on it. I I took that very literally when I read it, you know. But I, you know, is is Cassandra a mutant? I don't know. I, you know what? I am stumped on that one. That she one certainly is hates one. them a lot. She hates them a lot. Who was she? I'm trying to remember. So here's the other thing. I'm going to take a step further, and what I want to see in X Men Legends. Please. It was hinted at that Ernest was Cassandra in the stuff body. And then obviously that's a very different thing that would happen later. Are we going to see a little bridge? If I found out the answer for that, maybe I can start forming. That's an interesting question. Yeah, no, because that was definitely stuff, a case of one of those things. Right. If she's stuff, she's not a mutant. She's not. <laughs> that's one of those things that, uh, that seems to happen a lot with Grant Morrison comics, which is that he uh, does a bunch of stuff, introduces 50,000 ideas, and then leaves a book and everybody goes, huh. Anyway... <laughs> uh, which is unfortunate because I think introduced a lot of stuff that was really awesome. But uh, I mean, as is pretty evidence, evident, I should say, uh, left the X books and a lot of what was undone, like almost immediately, not entirely, but no, they some of it entirely. So it's difficult to say. I, 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 that was clearly something that was completely dropped. And I, I don't know if we would ever be able to, explain it it would be a fun thing to do but it's if you did if we did it would obviously be the kind of thing that kind of we did for fun in the side like i don't think we don't want to fall into what we like to call comics about comics yeah Uh, we don't want to go let's do a series to explain this comic like we want to do a series to be entertaining and and hopefully say something about i don't know the human condition or something but (laughs) um no that's that's too highfalutin even to say so sorry no (laughs) but but it would be fun it would be fun to to answer that at some point i don't think i've ever given it a lot of thought to try to explain it because it just seemed like such a mistake (laughs) no 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 and and that's fair and what do you do in a situation like that where it's a very convoluted history i i think i'd need to see the playing field what you guys finally decide on i think right now though like i my instinct would be like, well, you know, when we last saw her in X-Men Red, she felt like a mutant, you know, a mutant who hates other mutants in her body. And she has those powers. She's, she's a mutant enemy. But if we're going to get into the, the particulars and the weeds of it, I think I need to have a better under- tracing of her history. The Ernst thing, the, the thing that's tr- tricky about the Ernst thing is that it, it brings up the question of what do you do about mistakes? What do you do about mistakes that are like, yeah. F- in there they're like they're not like mistakes you're just you're catching as you do them they're mistakes that it's like oh that was just a mistake like so here's an example of one that i had to reckon with except that it's even even still it's not fully solved unfortunately which is um anole yeah uh at some point we were using that character and the question was raised of wait wait isn't he supposed to have this giant arm and then it was like we looked at it we went well, is he supposed to have a giant arm? Yes, but he hasn't in the last like five times he's been drawn. Mm-hmm. So in, by like various art teams, by various, under various editorial teams. And then also uh, Chris Robinson at the time was like, also like, I think, didn't we do a story where his entire self got big? Like, so like, <laughs> it was just like, so, okay. So now it is officially in the books wrong. But it's been in the books wrong multiple times, very blatantly. What do you do? Do you go, well, I'm going to go with the thing that should have been done the entire time, which is right. Mm -hmm. Or do you go, well, no, I have to go with the wrong thing because the wrong thing has been established as right. And I guess at some point we maybe will explain it. But also 
we weren't doing books like about Anole. So it wasn't like they were books where it was going to be a deep dive into him and he can talk about what he's been through getting large arms and small arms. And it's like, it was yeah. like, it was mostly like he shows up again. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> we don't have time for him to go, well, here's what's up with me. Yeah. Um, so then it's like, what do we do? And I think in that moment, I went at this point, I feel like it's been established wrong has been established as right enough times that we should probably just roll with that and say, whatever happened to him happened. And now he doesn't look that way anymore, I, but I it's a tough call. And I don't know what call. was right. <laughs> I don't, I think Morrison was the one who said this and, and they, they were pretty interesting when they said this, they were like, if you see a mistake in the book, you can get your white out. And you can, you know, cross it out and write in the dialogue you want. That way, it's a collaboration with your writer and an <laughs> editor and an artist. And so I'm, I'm very forgiving when I see those mistakes. Again, I think it's easy for a lot of readers to play Monday morning quarterback. I don't know if that's the analogy. I don't like sports. Shocking. But I... I understand editorially, this is a shared universe of decades. Mistakes are going to happen. The one mistake actually I'm curious about, and I'm sorry, oh, I wasn't no. going to bring it up because I forgot about it until this moment, but I do want to ask about it. That's um, when in Marauders, where Shaw is on the floor and Emma comes up to him and she says, my sister Cordelia will return first before you ever get to come back to Krakoa. Cordelia, we haven't seen her die. It was Adrian, we know, her older sister, Adrian, who died. Is Was oh. that deliberate that Cordelia's death was mentioned? Was that like just like an editorial myself? I'm not pointing fingers and listeners do Honestly, not Honestly, I, I, would, I would probably have to do research to know, to find out if which... It, it, it sounds from that quick description like it was probably a mistake, but I'd have to talk to Jerry and go, what, what did you mean... <laughs> Uh, which one was it? Adrian? Adrian? So yeah, Adrian was Did the one that Emma Adrian? shot. Yeah, Adrian Probably. was the one she shot, and then Cordelia has been MIA since like Generation X. But I, but you see here in that. But wait, what was Cordelia? Was Cordelia also terrible? Yeah, she was also terrible. I mean, okay, the, so then he might have just meant her, and just in, meant to say then that they were oh, both dead, you. so that that's why they're not around. But um, I, I do like that idea though that you again. I understand these books are being published weekly. I like the idea that maybe if there's a mistake, it, maybe that's an opportunity to tell like a, a more rich story whenever you can get to it. You know what I mean? But okay. So, okay. Now you wanted to ask me the really exciting question and I distracted you. No, no, no. That's perfect. Thank you so much for distracting me. And you're, you've been so, your energy is infectious. Like my mouth hurts from smiling so much, <laughs> but okay. So my question is about Jean Grey. And how she was dead for 13 years. And I'm not angry about it because I did mm -hmm. love the idea of Jean sort of being in the white hot room, a white phoenix interjecting in times of great distress. But I am curious why Phoenix Resurrection was the appropriate time to bring her back and why she ended up staying dead for almost like 13 years. It just seems in, in, in a revolving door of death sure. why Jean was the one who, who was kept in the, in the ground. Well, I can only speak to that a little bit in the sense that, because again, I, I wasn't on the Xbooks when she was brought back. So when, when they finally made the call to do it, mm -hmm. um, I can speak a little bit to why she was not brought back though, which was before that, which was that um, I think they just were going, you know, it is such a revolving door of characters dying and then being back and no one takes any deaths in comics seriously. 
there was a time when Jean's death was like the real death, one of the biggest real deaths that happened in comics. And the longer we keep her off the table, the more serious it is. And also I think, so I think there was a couple of factors. I think that was a, a big one. I think the fact that <laughs> I, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound like I'm being dismissive, but I'm not like the fact that you've got Emma kind of filling the role of being Scott's lover and like taking things in a different direction, I think made people go, well, bringing Jean back is going to change that up in a way that we don't necessarily want to. I think that Absolutely. was part of it. Um, but here's the thing I will say, I was always like, why don't we bring Jean back during all that time? <laughs> I was like, let's do it. And then people would go, yeah, but like death is so we, we need to keep some deaths real. And we've got a zillion X characters. Like we can leave one important X character dead. And I was going, yes, but you're right. Everybody comes back to life too easily, but Jean's name is the Phoenix. If anybody's <laughs> going to come back to life easily, it should be Jean. Yeah. What are you, why, what are we even <laughs> doing? So I wanted to bring her back way sooner than Thank that. Thank you, Jordan D. White. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. I wanted I, to. We didn't. Yeah. Why they did it in that moment when they did, I, that, again, Mark Panisha would probably have to weigh in. My guess is they were just like, well, it's time to do something That's flashy time, yeah. and big. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, it was, I, we were so happy to see her. I was just more curious from the business aspect of it. And I think, you know, I used to be on a message board called like Shades of Grey. And I think Nick Lowe initially, you know, when she had just died, wrote a letter to a fan there and said, like, I know how much this character means to you. I promise you one day she will be back. And it was such a very thoughtful response. And I remember also thinking when I read that, I was like, damn, these poor ex-editors probably get like emails every single day. And like, well, now in the age of social media, like tweets and DMs and crazy gene stands, which I am one of them, you know, blowing up, but it's, you guys have such a good attitude about it. Like, again, like the X office right now, like the vibe is so great. Wait, do you hate Emma? No, I don't hate Emma. I don't oh, hate okay. Emma. No. So you're, no. Not one, you're not one of those crazy genes. No, not. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, no. I, so I was just talking about this with another guest, which is when you look at Grant Morrison's story, I think Jean was ascending into godhood right? And she was disassociating her human emotions while Scott is shaking off and Sabanor and he's starting to feel his emotions. So it makes sense that he would gravitate towards another highly emotional character at the Xavier Institute, which would be Emma, because I think it's very easily, it's very easy to dismiss Emma as like an asshole or a bitch, but Emma is actually a deep caring individual. She's a teacher first. And I can see why Scott would gravitate towards her. And I love the final scene with Jean fully empowered as the White Phoenix, understanding why Scott and Emma need each other. And I love the Scott and Emma romance. I, am, I was sold on it. I think only them could have led mutants through that extinction arc, which I love the extinction arc. <laughs> Emma Emma is probably another character who I could have answered that question i answered with magic about in that i i i was very um i was very aggravated at her in a lot of that era because i felt like she was uh pulling cyclops towards the dark side in many ways like I, I i was i was not into it but i feel like uh working with leah especially has uh opened my eyes to black. her so much more yeah i was oh, that pitch was so God. good to me i loved it i loved it 
Jordan, that scene where they're at like what Walmart and Emma's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. You wanted me to meet you here. And Ro goes on her explanation. She goes, but sugar, I thought it was funny. And I'm like, Oh <laughs> my God. But then even that being a story about grief for her and confronting Sean and what happened in Cyclops mm-hmm. being dead at the time. It was such a great story. You guys. Yeah, I loved it. I was, and that, that was one of my first, I mean, that, that was the, I don't remember if that was the first thing I worked with Leah on or not. I think it was, but when she pitched that to me, I was so into it. I was just like, Oh, this is great. And just over the course of the, the time we've worked together since then, she's talked to me a lot about Emma and what, what Emma is like to her and what she sees in her. And I, I it's really changed my view on her um, and, and what she's about. Yeah, no, I agree. And speaking of Emma, if I can move into the, can you please tease us some aspects of the interview here? Sure, sure. Hellfire Gala. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, there's a lot. I mean, so at the, at the moment we're talking, we just announced uh, like a day or two ago. Yeah, Planet Size. Planet X-Men. Size X Men, which is going to be a big part of it. Um, and I think all I think pretty much all it said about the gala though was uh, twelve titles, twelve stories, all adding up to the, the biggest event of the. I, it might not even have said party. I think it said party because because when I say event of the season, I meant like party. I don't mean comic book event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, got gotcha. you. So I have to I have to not say event because people will take it to mean that other one when I mean no no like like the happening. in universe event <laughs> yes yeah. yes um, and I I guess I can te- I can definitely tease that we mean that in the sense that yeah it's not part one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve it's here are twelve stories about the Hellfire Gala they add up to a bigger picture um, but again read read what you want to read other than Planet Size, which is going to be huge and important. You should definitely read Planet Size. It's going to be amazing. We are so excited for Planet Size. Like, it's, thank you for that announcement. Thank you for dropping that. And I'm I'm a huge fashion person. Oh, yeah. You're going to go crazy. Are we going to go crazy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, really excited go, for Emma's looks. You're going to go crazy. Okay. What we, what we have... I'm picturing like Emma in like vintage McQueen and like Jean is wearing a DKNY dress from like an outlet in Orlando. You know, I love Jean, but I don't think she can shop. I hope I listen. I hope you're super <laughs> into what we do, but, but I will say it, we went big. Okay. On a lot of things. And we, we did a lot of preparation that I did not even necessarily, like I wouldn't have necessarily even thought we would be able to pull off for various reasons, but we did. And so there's a lot going on fashion wise that is pretty awesome. I cannot wait. I I think some of the other uh, podcasters and, and, and myself are going to do like a, Oh my God, I'm forgetting what that Joan Rivers show was, but we're just going to look at all the fashions. And my best friend is a fit model and I already want her on the podcast so we can break it down. So I'm just letting, you know, we are so excited for that in terms of other things that maybe you can tease. Is it, is it Myra X or Myra 10? I think of it as Moira X because there aren't actually 10 Moiras. There's just one, right? Yeah. Like that's the whole deal. Right. Um, and, and, but here's the, the real truth is that 
I mean, I don't think we really ever call her Moira X. We really always just call her Moira McTaggart, even though she wasn't even Moira McTaggart in nine out of those 10 lives. Um, but that's, that's just the way we all actually refer to her as, well, mostly we just say Moira, but if we're going to say her name, we, we end up saying McTaggart. Are we, obviously, we, we're going to be seeing more of her. Sure. How excited are you to be able to tell Moira's story? Oh, I know what's next for her, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. <laughs> I, you don't understand like what I'm building up in my head. Like I want, I want, you know, at the 12th hour destiny to be resurrected and be like mystique. We need to go after Moira and like have like a huge world war X blowout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I am, Dude, when I was growing up, my abuela was like, I, why are you so obsessed with La Viejitas? Which is why you're obsessed with like the little old ladies. Um, Agatha Harkness, fucking Irene Atler. I was obsessed with Destiny. And the way Hickman has written her has just been next level. I, you know what? I do have a quick question. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't want to, I don't want to ask like this nuance. I'm just thinking about it right now. In, in Hoxpox, mm-hmm. she goes pyro burn her and let her know how it feels. And then Pyro responds, yes, mom. Is, is she, is she? No, no, no. I think no, he no. was just being. Oh, he was, okay. Like well, he's surrogate. not British. He's what, Australian, right? But yeah, uh, he was just being slangy. Okay. okay. Like, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it, if anything, it would be something quirky to that world, but it's not that she's his mother. It would be like that you. they have a, 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 a more close relationship in that world, that sort of thing. But I'm, Moira, I just, I love her. I, I feel, and I feel like I'm on a broken record for the first time in my fandom. I can say I love every character except for Beast. I fucking hate Hank McCoy. Jordan D. White, why is Hank McCoy the worst X-Men ever? He's not. He's great. <laughs> and he's great at, because, because being wrong is great. <laughs> because he thinks he's right. And I, and I know there are people who are like, he's a hypocrite. First of all, everybody's a hypocrite. Second of all, <laughs> Second of all, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense to me that Beast would be sitting there going, I walked out of the X-Men because Cyclops thought he knew what was best and that he could send murder squads out to murder people. And that's obviously wrong. So I quit the X-Men. Now that I'm here, I'm probably going to run a murder squad and send them out to people. <laughs> that makes perfect sense because what you're, 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 you're getting hung up on, well, he said he doesn't like murder squads. Right. But what he really said was, I know best. Fair. And he does. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Listen, my main grievance with Beast, and I have, we, we have an, a four-hour episode called Why Beast is the Worst X-Man. Just answer one question here for sure. me. Where did he get his doctorate degree from? Well, that's a great question. No, but he didn't he boyfriend, get it from... Boyfriend just showed up one day at the Avengers... And was like, oh yeah, I'm a geneticist, doctor. Yeah, and that's it. Never explain. I know he did undergrad somewhere. I'm forgetting where he did undergrad. Well, but I think he has a Photoshop PhD. I, listen, I I think that you might be onto something as far as his degree being fake, but I don't think <laughs> not. For it's not going to be Photoshop. It, it, if it's fake, it's fake because Xavier's is a fake <gasps> place. Like Fair. Xavier's is ostensibly teaching them actual education stuff, but really they're drilling. Now, again, I did that deep dive into the actual X-Men series, but I didn't read, I didn't follow it to all of the um, 
the 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 lost years like i didn't follow it to all of the beast appearances in the in the in the in between and i know that some of them i mean that's where he becomes furry and stuff yeah do they not address him going to college there at all i you know i'm being i'm being purposely salty i've i've done the research as best as i can i'm sure there is a panel somewhere where they mention he got his doctor degree but it's nonsense somewhere. but it's nonsense yeah. because like yeah. i said they're they're xavier's but if you go back to you know I forget what issue that is where where they fight um the issue where they travel to the future actually the issue where they fight um uh Eunice the untouchable yeah he, very early in the series he builds a machine that takes away Eunice's power or or amplifies his powers whatever the frick it does it's some crazy super science machine so he clearly is super intelligent I think he's so intelligent and prodigious but you need but, but to get your credits. Your no, credits. No, you don't. Not if you go to Xavier's because <laughs> it's an it's a fake school. It's a fake school that is all about lies. So Xavier probably just went, yeah, he's got it. Like, there you go. And then, oh, I love that. And then he has it. I mean, that's all of them, right? Except for Jean because she went to actual college. But the rest of them, they all ostensibly got some sort of degree at Xavier's, right? I would assume. Yeah. yeah no, I agree with you. Did Wolverine? I wonder if Wolverine, if they gave Wolverine a degree, I don't like a, I don't. a graduate degree of some sort. You know, he did he go to undergrad? Probably maybe, not. Maybe. Yeah, no, I don't think he did. I don't, I don't know if maybe he got an honorary degree when he started the Gene Gray, an honorary degree that he wrote to himself when he did the Gene Gray Institute. But, yeah, they, wonder, but, that, but I'm sure they just lie. Again, I'm sure they just lie. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. The, the Xavier Institute is founded on lies, and uh, they. <laughs> They just, they go, yeah, you guys are our guys. We got, we got you covered. You have degrees now. Enjoy. <laughs> All right. So Jordan, it's late. We're going to let you go, but I do want to ask you some Sailor Moon questions. We're going to do it as a lightning round. Okay. okay. I'm All right. Okay. So it's going to be Sailor Moon. All right. So what is it like doing a podcast with X-Men 92 writer, Chris Simsets, all about Sailor Moon? It's a blast. Uh, Chris and I, uh, Chris and I first started interacting uh, on the internet on Twitter when I was doing the Anita Blake comic and he was doing <laughs> columns eviscerating it um, that I thought were very funny. Uh, <laughs> and uh, shortly thereafter, I was tweeting about Sailor Moon and he uh, was also a Sailor Moon fan. I was tweeting about it a lot and he was responding to me on there. And so that's we our first interactions really as people was about Sailor Moon. And uh, I'm thrilled to have been doing it with him. He's, he's a super talented, fun guy. And I am, I love him. Who do you think in the X-verse is most like Usagi? Well, the answer is nobody. I mean, and that's why she's so special. Like the, the idea that she is a, a purely good heroic character, but also not particularly good at things and, uh, you know, kind of lazy and kind of gluttonous. So the closest you're going to get, the, the, the combination of the two is, is rare. So you can get X characters who are, are as good and as friendship based as Sailor Moon, and you can get characters who are screw ups, but usually you don't get them together. I, I guess the closest I would say is Jubilee, but I, I, she honestly, she doesn't tip far enough into the pure good scale. <laughs> like she's more on the screw up side than the, the pure good side. Um, yeah, that, that's why that's why Usagi is such a, a kind of a revolutionary character to me because that she she is that. Who is the best Sailor Moon villain? 
when you say villain, do you mean like a uh, big villain or, sm- or a small villain? Let's say like the big villains. Although I'm curious who you think is a small. Oh, we were thinking like the everyday monsters yeah, like the, of the, the week. Monster of the week. I thought you were going to say like Chibi Usawarini. Um, <laughs> no, the big the big villains, you know, or, or well, how about like the big bads of every. Sure, sure. I mean, I, listen, Jedi. <laughs> oh, I love Jedi. So I mean, much. it's ridiculous that he's the first villain, and I'm going. Well, the first villain is the best, but the first villain is kind of the best. He's 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 relatively simple, but he's also kind of a jerk. And I don't know. He's he he's he's cheesy, and he's great. Um, beyond him, uh, Mehmet. Uh, oh my God, Mehmet. Yeah. Who who is going like? Yeah, I'm supposed to be seeking out uh, where this this secret uh, magical thing is located inside of people, but I'm just gonna pick the celebrities that I want to meet and go see if they're the ones. And that's ridiculous and amazing. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Is sailor business going to continue now that you're at episode 198 out of 200? Can we expect sailor business crystal pretty we, guardian sailor business? We always fluctuate on it. Um, okay. I mean, well, first of all, there's the fact, please that don't end. Please th- don't there's, end. there's the undeniable fact that it has gotten harder and harder for us to schedule it. And yeah. uh, so I, I, I won't lie and say the temptation to say we got through 200 and now we're done is, is not there. Um, but I also love Sailor Moon. So of those two, it's much more likely to be Crystal, but we haven't committed to it. I want desperately to watch Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon and talk I'll about say. it, but it is not available legally. And so I'm not super comfortable about doing a, a podcast where we're doing a show that we can't legally <laughs> be seeing. Jordan, where can the folks at home find you? Um, not many places anymore. <laughs> uh, they can find me. I mean, again, if you want to go and watch my YouTube videos, you can. I'm up on YouTube. If you search for Jordan D. White, you'll find my channel. Um, you can find, I mean, you can find my my work in the X-Men line. Uh, you can find Sailor Business on Twitter at Sailor Business, although even we don't tweet a ton there. You can also go to sailorbusiness.com to check that podcast out. Or it's not available on all podcasts feeds but it's on most of them <laughs> check it out there if you're a big sailor moon fan and they're like i said they're long episodes we meander we go on tangents but it, they're fun as heck i they're even so had fun. people tell me that they love listening to the podcast without ever watching sailor moon which blows my mind but apparently is true uh so check those things out oh that's perfect thank you jordan thank you so much for being so generous with your time and answering me too. i always have fun doing podcasts and i stayed up way too late i'm gonna be dead in the morning i'm sorry <laughs> it's not um, your fault <laughs> enjoy thank you i mean again we're all so happy with the books and what you guys are doing is really special and the, you have our attention so thank you i know it's hard well, but you guys you. are killing it it's my pleasure it really is my pleasure i love i love doing it i really do Okay, listeners, now please enjoy this performance of About Adam X by Jordan D. White. And make sure to follow him on YouTube. There's a girl who is surrounded by a slippery force field. There's a guy who blew his face off and it never really healed. There's a dude who can find anyone who's also very pale. There's a werewolf king slash EVP with sharp and scary nails. There's a kid they call the squid boy who was actually a fish. There's a girl with lots of ghosts who give her luck to the Irish. There's a guy whose looks could kill if he's without his special specs. And I know more about each of them than about Adam X. There's a guy who can just disappear, vanish without a trace. And a green-haired lady who says that she's half from outer space. There's a creepy dude with tentacles who really smells like death. And a guy 
guy who can fly through the air propelled by his own breath. There's a lady who's a dragon who has also passed the bar. And a guy you couldn't stop if he wanted to steal your car. And this one kid speaks all languages and all the dialects. And I know more about all of them than about Adam X. I know he wears a backwards hat and that he's very spiky. And somebody on Twitter told me his blood burns like fire. I know that him returning isn't really all that likely. And he's not a Summer's brother, despite Fabian's desire. There's a bunch of folk who have these knives come poking out their fists. And there's one guy who can teleport through rotten egg smell mess. There's a scoundrel who throws playing cards who's really quite a rogue. And a skunk-haired girl who always sugars up her dialogue. And there's a blue guy with enormous feet who hangs out in a lab. And a redhead who refuses to stay laid out on a slab. There's a guy with two slug creatures who nobody respects. Yet I know way more about him than about Adam X. I do not know much about Adam X. Thank you.